1: 14. Hello, everybody, and welcome to episode 200 of 40 Going On 14. I am Mike.
2: I am Patrick.
3: I'm Joel. And I'm Josh. And if someone asks if you want a jelly baby, you say yes. Doesn't even have to, yeah, it doesn't even have to be Tom Baker. Those things are delicious. They are. <laughs> At first, I thought they were
1: just like regular gummies, but no, they're, there's something different about them.
0: They're a little chewy, but... They're delicious. Yeah, What's I think. And if you baby? want some,
1: it's it's gummies they, uh, in the shape of small infant fetuses. <laughs> yes,
0: I'm it's in. abortion. And Be- each bite, <laughs> uh, the guy, the it's guy it's
2: with the... your taste buds.
0: <laughs> oh my god, <laughs> oh we are not starting guy... a landmark episode
3: very well, gentlemen. <laughs> <laughs> So The yeah, guy please.
0: dressed as the fourth, fourth doctor doc. at Gen Con last year,
1: Adam. Oh. What a- are they? Seriously, what are they? They're like, they're they're a- like little gummies.
0: Yeah, they're softer
3: than gummy bears. Uh, I think they're a little sweeter. Mm-hmm. Uh, they're they're like- harder to find here because they're UK. Yeah,
1: you can find them at Gen Con when we go, but they're like $6 a bag. So,
2: How do we not discuss this in the junk food episode?
1: because they're like six dollars a bag it's hardly okay
2: that's a good point Yeah.
3: yeah yeah i've had them but not very often yeah they're good once in a while same here all right so 200 huh
1: yeah we are as we promised the episode 200 is going to be on doctor who uh we did decide though that there is so much doctor who that instead of creating one three-and-a-half-hour show. We're breaking it into the then and the now in two separate shows. So 200 and 201 are both going to be the Doctor Who shows. So if you want to yell at us about David Tenet wait till next next week.
2: So, yeah, there you go.
0: But I can't wait till next week.
2: Oh. Or they can wait like three weeks and just listen to both of them at the same time.
3: Well, right. If you can't wait until our right. next episode, where you should go is to the Podcast Collective, where there are all sorts of other great shows for you to listen to, including the Bad Parenting Podcast, the Coffin Joe Cast, Dating Baggage, Mint in Box Cast, and of course the Rad Dad Radio Hour.
1: Yes, and if you're looking for our older stuff, in waiting for the second show to come around, go around, listen to something older. Listen to the Godzilla show. I just watched that again this week. Great movie. Oh, uh, man. Was that your Godzilla
2: impersonation? Yes. Godzilla is a Buddhist. <laughs> <laughs> all, all, raar, <laughs> all, raar.
1: Raar. all right. So all this is on iTunes, Blueberry, Stitcher Talks, Podverse FM, Noon FM, and all sorts of different places online, uh, including uh, places. So if you want to call us, like I said, call us and yell at us about anything Doctor Who related, which you probably will because there's going to be a lot of contentious opinions in that show. Uh, 708 now wrap 708 9727
3: Yeah, or if you want to give us other feedback, you can always reach out to us by messaging us on Facebook or reach out to us on Twitter at 40Go14. Yep. Yeah.
1: So we don't have any uh, feedback right now. Incorrect. Uh,
3: we got a message on Facebook. Oh, we did. Yeah. Uh, Mitch Ladd uh, says, hey, guys, just wanted to drop a quick line about your Power Rangers episode. I'll concede the TV show doesn't age well, but I'll always love it because of my childhood. Anyway, you guys mentioned the scene where they carried Billy's body and that it was strange that they all needed to do it, even with their newfound powers. He's uh, referring to the movie there, I think. Yeah, Yeah. I took it as they all didn't need to help, but they all wanted to help since Billy was the one that brought them all together. But that's my two cents. Your favorite nemesis, Mitch. Well, he's our nemesis. We're that our list of
1: nemesis is getting nemesis. Screw you
2: both.
1: <laughs> <laughs> uh, He'd like it, Yeah, is uh, is getting long here, but yeah. Now you know what I think.
2: I think they all just quadrupled in weight. That's what I think. That's my theory. They
3: all, they all got denser. Yes every one of our nemesis <laughs> oh, don't oppose us
1: you don't get any bigger you just get more dense <laughs> huh
2: <laughs> <laughs> and that's how we found out Joel was our enemy
1: <laughs> all right now it is totally about that time it's i'm totally in deep totally cover <laughs> this
0: week in music movies and TV. And sports.
1: All right. So this week we are going with the theme of November 23rd, uh, 1963. That is the release of an unearthly child. The first ever TV episode of Doctor Who.
3: Yeah, because this is Doctor Who, we've got an unusual amount of Great Britain in this week's this weekend. Mm,
0: so mm-hmm. music. I'm leaving it up to you by Dale and Grace is the number one song in land, followed by Washington Square by the Village Stompers and Deep Purple by Nino Tempo and April Stevens.
1: I know none of those songs.
2: Yeah, I don't either.
1: I know, but if, if, if that surprises me between you and me not knowing old school stuff like Washington you know, Square.
2: Between all four of us. Do we know? Yeah. No.
1: No. Washington Square, I listen to is it, kind of like a ripoff of uh, Winchester Cathedral with no words. It's got banjo in it.
3: Yes. Yeah, you summoned it. Now we're going to have to perform a cleansing. <laughs> huh.
2: Yeah, I don't know any of those songs.
3: Yeah.
0: What? Huh.
2: Yeah.
3: I
0: know Deep Purple, the band. Yeah,
1: that's the yeah. thing. It's like, I'm like, oh, okay, 63. I bet it's this kind of trippy Deep Purple, Nino Temple. No, it's like this still in the 50s kind of duet, really charming and type. Song. It's. Don't know any of them. So,
0: well, a deep purple sweater, colored deep purple. I don't know. Anyway, November twenty second sees the release of the pictures. What, what the hell was that?
2: I, I was going a whole different direction than what deep purple was going to mean. So I'm glad you went that direction.
0: <laughs> it was either that or deep purple nipples. You know, but that didn't seem very. No,
2: I was going to say that that was the, the nickname of her vibrator, but so and I was going to go a whole direction with that, but I decided not to and you with sweaters so i was going to let it die but now i've resurrected it and beaten it to death
1: yes and now this conversation is going to wind up talking about steely dan <laughs>
3: <laughs> this All was the right. thing that happened yes let's never <laughs> speak of it again uh,
0: okay so no, back to november 22nd which saw the release of phil specter's acronym of the week acg tof ps
3: of course, that is the classic piece of British propaganda. All Catholics go to old Franciscan priests' showers. <laughs>
1: Holy shit, that's a good one.
3: <laughs> uh, yeah, yeah, they just can't let the, the Church of England thing go.
1: That is fantastic. I I salute you, sir, for that acronym of the week. Wow, which strangely peaked on the Christmas album sales chart. <laughs>
0: <laughs> Incidentally Phil Spector is on his way to your house right now to murder you. Absurd. So what is it actually? <laughs> Not yet.
1: Yeah, um, what is it? It's a Oh crap, what is it? A Christmas gift to something from Phil Spector. To Otters. To Otters from Phil Spector. It's a Christmas album from Phil Spector. To Otters. To Otters. Yes. You're right. Need share
0: to Otters. <laughs>
1: A Christmas gift for you from Phil Spector.
2: That's for you. So just going to start with wild. to go.
1: It's late. To it's early. You. Either way, Phil Spector, Christmas does not go together. Keep
0: going, Joel. Well, in England, you no, has an O at the beginning. kind like, this you know, out, theaters, Joel. Stop w. trying to
2: save Joel. Write it out. <laughs> A Christmas gift to the Ottomans. <laughs>
0: <laughs> and they were not higher. very receptive. All right. The album peaked at number thirteen on Billboard's magazine's special year-end weekly Christmas album sales. No, that's not. There's a there's commas there. (laughs) Jesus Christ! (laughs) Start (laughs) over. The album peaked at number thirteen on Billboard's magazine's (laughs) special year-end weekly Christmas album sales chart in December 1963. Another lesser-known album called "With the Beatles" was also released this day, with songs like "All My Lovin' and a cover of "Please, Mister Postman." And finally, the Beatles make their first ever appearance on American television when the evening news program, The Huntley Brinkley Report, featured a four minute news feature on the band.
2: Important to note that that is not, you know, that is literally their first appearance, not their first, uh, like, singing appearance, which was obviously on The Ed Sullivan
3: Show. Huh, cool. So, neat. All right. In movies, it's a light week this week. The only thing we have for movie trivia in uh, the week of November 23rd, 1963, is that Joseph Sweeney, who is an American character actor known primarily for his role as juror number nine in the 1957 film, 12 Angry Men. He started his film career playing a pal of Jack's in Sylvia Spree in 1918. Uh-oh. And continued his career as that guy in the background for eight films in his career. His final film was 12 Angry Men, but he continued to appear on TV shows, filling out his career in such shows as Father Knows Best, Route 66, and Car 54, Where Are You? Until he passed away in 1963 at 79 years old. Born in 1884.
0: (laughs) Yes. (laughs) I like that show, Car 54. Where Are you? I used to watch that. Good old Fred Quinn.
2: I I don't think I've ever seen a full episode.
0: Well, we'll have to wait until they
3: remake it. Yeah, they did. They did. Oh wow! <laughs> <laughs>
0: when did they, they remake it that?
2: It was a movie about ten years ago.
0: Okay, so well, let's well, throw another show time. ideas. Hold on, it was. It wasn't. I think it was still in the 90s.
2: It was a really bad, bad movie. 1994, 1994. yeah. Oh, Jesus. Was yeah. it that long ago? Man. Starring,
0: Starring David
1: Johansson. Time flies when everything sucks. Oh, my God. You'll love this one, Pat. It has Fran Drescher in it. And Nipsey oh. Russell. And Nip- Rosie O'Donnell. What the hell? Daniel Baldwin. Jeremy Piven. What? Al Lewis? <laughs> Even well, Nipsey Russell, Russell
3: couldn't save it.
2: <laughs> and Penn and Teller. Oh, this movie needs to be seen. Too bad it's not made after 2000.
1: Yeah. I think everybody should call Pat and do their best friend Drescher impersonations for him. Oh,
2: God.
0: <laughs> oh, God. I don't know how to do friend Drescher. No, it's you Woody Allen as a girl.
2: <laughs> you apparently can do the Jewish guy from,
0: from Family Guy pretty well. So. Oh, stop it, Patrick.
1: <laughs> <laughs> All right. So TV, Terry Farrell, American actress, best known for Star Trek. Star Trek, Star Trek, Deep Space Nine, among other shows and movies,
3: was born on November nineteenth. Uh the lovely Jadzia Dax. Am I the only person who knows who Terry Farrell is?
2: No, she uh, I, I know her from uh she was on Becker and uh Back to School were the two things I know her from. Oh yeah. She was like she her.
1: owned the restaurant in Becker. Yep Yeah.
2: I, I watched And she looks FDS incredibly, incredibly, incredibly like an ex of mine.
1: Huh. Yeah. All right, so all regularly scheduled television programming resumed in the United States on November 26th after having been preempted since Friday afternoon for news coverage and tributes to the assassination of the late President Kennedy. National network broadcasting of the entertainment programs began at 8 a.m. Eastern time with Captain Kangaroo on CBS, local programs on ABC at 10, and the game show Word for Word on NBC at 10.30.
3: That sentence is so awkward. Like, tributes yeah. to assassinations. Let's hear yeah. it for assassinations, a retrospective. <laughs> assassinations, then and now. It's Next early. We're going on 14.
1: Yeah, we have early. We have Patrick. We're recording Patrick when the sun is up. I mean, that is something new.
0: <laughs> it, it, it also was uh, the reason that uh, Doctor Who was preempted. And can you imagine being Captain Kangaroo leading into that?
1: It <laughs> just kept yeah. it just starts with him smoking a cigarette and be like, Well
3: shit.
2: <laughs>
3: yeah, we've just had twelve hours of tributes to assassinations.
0: Guess what we're talking about this week, Len- kids.
2: Lenny Lenny Bruce actually um I think it was the day after the assassination. He um he opened up for a, a scheduled uh comedy show he had. And the first thing out of his mouth, uh, he just walks out on stage, and there's like a, like 30 seconds of silence. And the first thing out of his mouth was, uh, "Well, I guess Von Meyer is fucked," which you know he was the preeminent uh, John F. Kennedy impersonator at the time. Oh, jeez!
3: <laughs> hmm. Wow,
0: <laughs> it wasn't wrong. Nope.
3: No, he's, I, you know, as I've gotten older, like I, I, my appreciation for Lenny Bruce has actually kind of waned. It's like he, he seems like the original too edgy for me dude on the Internet.
2: Yep. I mean, because what he was saying, you know, at the time, well, we'll get, I, we don't need to get lost in Lenny Bruce. Sure. I can, you know.
1: There's a phrase I never thought you would say.
2: <laughs> All right. Moving on to sports. Um, Very, very short sports today. Uh, Two days after the assassination of JFK, the day before the president was buried in Arlington National Cemetery, the NFL went ahead with its full schedule of seven games. The decision was made by NFL Commissioner Pete Rozelle, and it haunted him for the rest of his days.
3: Hmm. Yeah, I mean, that's definitely like people start calling you out on that. You probably never live it down. Yep.
2: Mm. He pretty much considered that one of the worst decisions he made while he was...
3: We, Fucking Joel. Well, yeah he's haunted by his decision soul ghost go away
0: <laughs> but I'm it's all- singing a song to you Pete <laughs> <laughs> like they, they have a new commission
1: <laughs> it's not like they have a list of little, just in case the president is assassinated this is what we're going to do type of thing you know how to
2: they probably do now well yeah
1: <laughs> we should we should plan for these things
2: I mean, they learned their lesson. They didn't play the games after September 11th attacks.
1: Yeah. All right. So, on to the main show. Joel, walk us out, man. (laughs) Nice. Now do it as Soul Ghost. (laughs) (laughs) So, here's the thing. Uh, uh, Three quarters of us are Doctor Who fans. Out of those, two-thirds... Our Doctor Who fans that started watching after it started up again in two thousand five, Joel has apparently was born wearing a forty foot long scarf,
3: sonic um, screwdriver in his hand.
1: Yeah, yeah. So
3: you are weird. deferring, to my you,
1: yeah, among other things, uh, deferring to you for Doctor Who-isms <laughs> in this one. So, <laughs> <we're> gonna, <laughs> so the Doctor Who first appeared on BBC TV. <laughs> On Saturday, November 23rd in 1963, Sidney Newman, who was head of drama at the time, was responsible for developing the program, along with the head scriptwriter Donald Wilson and C.E. Weber. Uh, Anthony Coburn, the Coburn, Coburn, uh, and story editor David Whitaker and producer Verity Lamber. Lev Verity? What kind of name is that? Verity yeah, Lim- Lamber. she. Okay. Well, it doesn't make it any stranger. Uh, also heavily contributed to the development of the series. It originally was intended to appeal to a family audience as an educational program using time travel as a means to explore ideas and uh, famous moments in history, which is actually a really cool idea.
2: So basically, we're just going to be like, uh, what was it, the, the show, the professor on, um, on the Rocky and Bullwinkle show?
0: Peabody? Peabody. Oh, yeah. Basically, <laughs> it's like, like
2: a live action Peabody
1: or uh, what's the name of that dog that used to travel in Sherman. time?
0: Oh, it's Peabody and Sherman?
1: Yeah. No, no. The live action dog. Except he would like read a book and then go back in time. Time dog.
0: <laughs> <laughs> All right. <laughs> every episode. Man and dog. dog. The and of apparently every episode. that was Oh god. Rough.
3: Oh Jesus. <laughs> No, Apparently, they it. discarded the uh, educational aspect and, like, fuck it. We're going to have him fight garbage cans. Wishbone. That's the name of the dog.
1: Yes. Okay. Just wanted to get that out there. It's not space dog. Wrath <laughs> <Or laughs> dog. <Okay. laughs> yeah. So they ditched the idea of making it educational and had him uh, fight trash cans and people in tinfoil for a while. Uh traveled through time in a machine called the TARDIS, which stands for Time and Relative Dimension in Space, uh, coined first by Susan in An Unearthly Child. Uh, cloaking mechanism <clears throat> got itself stuck. The chameleon circuit got stuck, and it is now stuck as a blue police box. And he's never gotten around to fixing it, uh, though it has shown up as a dresser and a pipe organ, which I'm concerned about how they got out of the
0: pipe organ. <laughs> they just come out from behind it.
1: Oh, okay. Just assume there's a door back there.
0: And and yeah, during the six doctor's run, he he messes around with the circuit, tries to fix it. And yeah, they just kind of walk out from behind it.
3: I mean, how do you exit from your pipe organ? Uh, Through the Vox Humana. (laughs) (laughs) Oh.
1: (laughs) Yeah. Uh, I don't know where to go from there. So the doctor himself is an alien, though. He's had companions that join him on his adventures, sometimes human. Otherwise, uh, sometimes they're aliens, sometimes they're robots. Doctor himself is from the planet called Gallifrey, Uh, not an entire race of time travelers. There's a select members of this planet are known as time lords. They're so named for the command of time travel technology and nonlinear perception of time. And originally where they were described as a powerful and wise race from Gallifrey, from where the doctor was a renegade. Details beyond this were very limited for the first decade of the series.
0: Yeah, they didn't really flesh that out until later in the series, and then once uh, Moffat took over, he really started to f- like mess with that whole background time lord thing. Yeah,
3: sure, they want to flesh out the missing pieces of the mythology just to further cement the continuity.
1: Mm-hmm. And that's the, with a, especially with a TV show about time travel, that's pretty important continuity stuff, you know. So. Of the 253 episodes of Doctor Who That were produced in the 60s 97 no longer exist In the television archives at the BBC Due to a purge in the archives Between 72 and 78 Which is always a great idea Why have an archive then? (laughs) Right (laughs) What about this archive? Ah, just get rid of it During which the BBC Enterprises Destroyed the only known copies Believing them to be of no future value Good job on you Uh, The
2: I could see where they got that. <laughs>
1: Are we going? Spoiler fire. alerts. Yeah, let's 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 save that for when we start talking <laughs> because this is going to be fun. Uh, they stopped destroying episodes in 1978 when uh, this policy came to attention of the series fans, and they went, "What?" <laughs> so, you've been doing what? Which kind of threw me because when I was watching. Like I said, I'm one of the uninitiated to classic Doctor Who. When I put on a new episode, and suddenly it was animated, which threw me for a bit. They had the audio, but they didn't have the actual video of it. So,
0: yep, they did that with uh, several of them. Then they pieced together other ones, like the, um, one of the, oh God, what's his name? Oh, Douglas Adams wrote a couple oh. episodes, and there's a very a very famous one that that uh, they. Pieced together eventually into a full episode but it's been retold several times throughout the series because they never actually shot it in full and i can't think of the name of the episode right now
1: okay work on that uh tom baker the fourth doctor appeared in 173 episodes of the series more than any other actor uh they decided in 72 we should have a song about this show so they made up a song and uh lyrics were added and john pertwee chose to recite not sing the words and it was called who is the doctor and failed to chart at all in the uk
0: if you ever listen to it you'll see why it definitely uh, was not out.
1: it was not a uh boy wonder we love you apparently
0: <laughs> go ahead joel sorry oh Shadow was the episode that i was thinking of which i've oh. seen but uh it's the fourth doctor episode but yeah they've retold it a couple times but yeah listen to that song at some point and uh Yeah, you'll
1: see. I'm just going to take your word for it. (laughs) That's what I was thinking. I was like, I'm good. Yeah. If he he didn't even want to bother singing it, he's just like, I'm just going to read this off. You put it in there.
3: I I don't
2: even have it on my iPod or anything.
3: Nothing. (laughs) Old British guy from the 70s rapping. I think I'll pass.
2: (laughs) (laughs) Uh, David Tennant,
3: the
1: 10th doctor, is the son-in-law of Peter Davidson. Davidson, the fifth doctor, whose daughter, Georgina Moffat, is the doctor's daughter in The Doctor's Daughter.
3: Yeah, yeah I so. try and diagram that out. So she played the doctor's daughter and is the doctor's daughter. And then the doctor married the doctor's daughter, who is the doctor's daughter.
1: Right. What? Buffalo, 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 Buffalo.
0: <laughs> Which she's incidentally getting her own spinoff um, series in. I think it's uh, either Big Finish or Books that that character is. Huh. Yep. That just was just announced this last week.
1: Nice. So William Hartnell had the habit of questioning plot inconsistencies and character anomalies. His attention to detail allowed him to provide continuity, even to the extent where he knew what button on the uh, TARDIS console did what.
3: Yeah. If they had introduced the Valeyard while uh, William Hartnell was in charge, he just would have murdered everyone. (laughs) <laughs> yeah i'm yeah, he, sure joel got that i'm not sure anybody else did yes but we'll talk about that at the end of the episode when we get to villains all and right I did make sure to mention him
1: uh all seven incarnations of the doctor had at least one serial in which they faced the daleks as the main villains however the fifth sixth and seventh doctors only tackled the daleks once
3: in general dalek episodes like no matter how silly the special effects are For the Daleks themselves, the episodes tend to take a little jump up in quality from the episodes around them, in my experience watching them.
0: Well, and I think that's partially due to Terry Nation, who held such tight control over him, that even after he died, his estate has to approve their use every time that they need them in something. Crazy. Yeah.
1: Yeah. Now, I... curious about a couple things in this one, because I watched of the ones that we watched, I did not see any Sonic Screwdrivers in the old ones. And then the new ones got it all over the place. So I found this, that the Sonic Screwdriver was first introduced in 68 in the story Fury from the Deep during the second Doctor, and then used twice more, only two more times, in Dominators and the War Games during the second Doctor's time. It became a popular tool for the third and fourth Doctor, and finally was written out of the series in 1982 due to the limitations it caused for writing the show. It then featured briefly in this 1996 Doctor Who television movie before coming back full force in 2005 as Dr. McGuffin's tool in the continuation of the series.
0: Yeah, it was it was rarely around. I mean, Tom Baker used it on occasion, but.
1: Well, that's the thing is like I'm going from watching the original the new ones to well, I was expecting, you know,
0: hey, here it is.
1: This is how I got it some sort of like backstory on it, but no, it's just kind of like, and it started out just like, it was like, um, it was like a pen light.
0: Yeah. It looks like a ratchet with the light on the end.
1: Yeah. It it really was not, I, I was expecting more from that. So,
0: but we really loved the term reverse the polarity. So they wrote it into the, the scripts as often as possible. And part of that was because he, he used a sonic screwdriver. Nice. <clears throat>
1: All right, so the first show that we watched, first episodes that we watched, was unearth unearthly child. This was the William Hartnell uh, episode. Companions of Susan Foreman uh, was in this one. His granddaughter, legit, legitimately his granddaughter in the show.
0: Yeah. It's considered canon, but they've never really gotten too deep into exactly because he talks about periodically how he's half human, half Time Lord, or half Gallifreyan, and. Yeah. There's not a lot of backstory into how that reality exists, but it is canon, yes, that it's his
3: granddaughter. Yeah, and the half-human thing was retconned out, but it was retconned out I think in a novel or in comics. <clears throat>
0: yeah. That cause in the beginning they were just kind of free and loose with exactly what the story was, and they would throw things in and out, and then now they're trying to weave it all together to make it make sense. And so yeah, that one's still kind of a mystery, a little bit. All right.
1: Now, um, in this, he had companions Susan Foreman, the one that we watched in this one, Barbara Wright, Ian Chesterton, Vicky, Stephen Taylor. I uh, first thought that was Stephen Tyler, and, <laughs> which I think would be fantastic, especially the 1960s Stephen Tyler. Uh, Katarina, Sarah Kingdom, Dodo Chaplet, mm-hmm. Polly, Ben Jackson. And uh, so, yeah, we watched Unearthly Child. Black and white, Grandpa Doctor, and his funny little hat.
3: Yeah. You know, I mean, looking back on it, like my personal history with Doctor Who, I actually didn't like it. So I I know that I'm going to give Pat some crap, but watching the original stuff, I watched a couple of episodes like in the 80s. I was just like, this is not for me and didn't come back to it until after I got into New Who and now, coming at it from that angle, I'm impressed at how many elements of the series carry all the way back to that first episode.
0: Well, and thank goodness for Hartnell's insistence on continuity back then, because because of that, in it, it's 50, what, four-year run now? It's, it's con- continued on with that. And yeah, if you watch the current show and you go back, you'll see a lot of the same things. And especially... The Tardis, the Daleks, the Cybermen—you know—all these characters that have carried over. There's always callbacks and little Easter eggs everywhere. Mm.
3: Yeah, like okay, iconic sound effects, even like many of them haven't changed. Oh yeah, the, the the noise
1: of the Tardis has not changed since Episode One. Um, I had some issues with this one. The 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 school that she was at, you know. I I don't know if they would be cool even now or even back then if, uh, you know, hey, we think this kid has got something, you know, we don't know really about our grandfather. We're going to go stalk her a little bit um, and then force our way into the TARDIS. Uh, That the teachers in this one deserved everything they got in this. Just not a fan of teachers.
0: (laughs) It was the 60s. I don't know.
1: I don't know. But yeah, so this is the deal with this one. So they follow Susan back to the TARDIS, which is sitting in a junkyard. And then come across uh, the doctor as he's returning to the TARDIS, and kind of he says she's not there. They kind of give it away when they open up the door, and this uh, 60s pop music comes blaring out, and they know it's her. They wind up falling into the, uh, forcing their way into the TARDIS, and then going back in time. Back in time. I'm assuming. They
2: force their way, <clears throat> and then spend the rest of the episode bitching about the fact that they're stuck inside. Like, well, you forced your way in, jackasses.
3: And the doctor's like, now you can't leave. <laughs> <laughs> uh, he's this doctor's kind of a douche to people.
2: Yep,
1: he really is. Initial. Initially, he, yeah,
2: yeah, he's very um, uh, pretentious. I not really pretentious. No,
3: imperious.
2: Just, yeah, definitely.
0: That's yeah, and and he's very gruff up. initially, and and that softens over the course of the series as he becomes more of a beloved character by. Because once the Daleks episode happened, everything changed, and kids just loved them and loved him. And so, yeah, he, you see him soften over the course of the his run before his illness forced him to leave the show.
1: So, what did you guys think of this one? Ten thousand years, a hundred thousand years BC goes back to caveman times and the search for fire, and. <laughs> <laughs> what was the-
2: uh, <laughs> wait, wait wait,
1: we got what what's the za the 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 drama of za her call and Horg uh,
2: I- go ahead
1: no I, well, i mean th- what I was expecting, I did not get. I was expecting a heroic doctor that was coming in to save people. What I got was an old man that just wants to go home and get his tea is really what this guy was. He
3: well, yeah, hard. they were sort of hiding from uh, the people on Earth just trying to get back to Gallifrey. And yeah, he's not the daring do swashbuckling adventurer violating the Time Lord's non-interference policy to do good. He's just like, I- I'm this guy. You don't... You Earthlings don't understand. You shouldn't be here. I mean...
0: Mm-hmm. Now you gotta hang out until I can get us back to to the school
1: yep what about you joel on um, being the doctor who biggest dr Who fan here
0: <laughs> dr foo that's the
1: japanese Fu, version Fu Han. <laughs> um what is what's your take on this one i mean is this do you look at it fondly or is this just kind of like they didn't get their they're getting still have to get into their stride what did you think of this one
0: well i i um I'm trying to work my way through the entire series. Cause I've, I admittedly have not seen every single episode. So I have started with this and I started with the first episode and I'm about halfway through Hartnell's run right now. And starting with Baker and working my way through the modern era, it, for me, it's, it's incredibly enjoyable because I can see where the roots come from and you get to see that groundwork that's laid. So as a, as a person who's a fan of the show, it's nice to see where a lot of things kind of come from see, and that continuity that, that takes. Um, I mean, it's not without its, its flaws. I mean, it's definitely trying to find its voice and it's early sixties television. And the writing is a little sporadic and you can see that they were trying to do something different at the time, but it's still very charming. And I, I enjoy it just because it's the doctor and it's, (laughs) it's it's the first incarnation you know
1: it seemed to me very like really enthusiastic community theater
2: Hmm.
1: (laughs) pat what did you think
2: (laughs) (laughs) um i did not have the luxury of like going back on and and looking at this fondly through with the lens of i already like this show and i want to like you know see the origins i started from the very beginning this was the first show i watched and i watched chronologically um all the episodes that joel recommended you know in the order that they had aired so this was the first experience that i had with dr who um for those of you that don't know i've never seen an episode of this show um and i was kind of excited to, to start watching it because as we've discussed before it hits all my all my points of interest, and it should be like right in my wheelhouse and everything. So I've always kind of wanted to watch it, but it just seemed kind of daunting, seeing as there's just so much of it out there and where to start. Um, I was not expecting to be stuck in the political world of uh cavemen for an hour straight or whatever it was. I uh, I think the big the big word I could use to describe this this uh, story arc was boring, <laughs> because oh my god, just give them some fire already and let's just move the fuck on. I was well, not you... I was not into this 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 story arc at all. I mean, I think I would probably See, enjoy the my, doctor my... a little more, like like later this the William Hartnell doctor more. Maybe when he 's not so stodgy and standoffish and like walking up to the camera and and making his little Abraham Lincoln pose every you know five minutes or whatever
0: go ahead for me when I when people go back when people want to go back and watch the um, it's kind of preface it by saying you know think of it as watching uh, Shakespearean theater or live or you know like a live theater performance it's been taped it's very British paced it's very 60s and it is it's very slow slow moving but it is the roots of the show so
3: yeah i can't actually disagree with any of pat's criticisms uh i i probably only enjoy it because of the perspective going back to the roots although if we're gonna qualify it it's important that we have this Experience where we've watched a bunch of time travel stuff that got really popular in the late 60s, early 70s because of Doctor Who. And this series didn't have that groundwork to, like, lean on. Pretty much before Doctor Who, the only pop culture real important time travel thing, you're talking H.G. Wells' The Time Machine and, like, the movie from 1960. Right. So, yeah. like, this is where... You're sort of establishing those tropes that everything else gets the advantage of, okay, this worked in time travel stories, this didn't, and we're going to take the best and discard the rest. Doctor Who is kind of figuring all of that out in these early seasons. Well, it's kind of
1: like uh, The Man From U.N.C.L.E. Yeah. and Man From U.N.C.L.E. was stepping in as the spy TV show, and it really, like you said, it had nothing to fall back on. It had no, you know, they were throwing stuff to see if it stuck.
3: Yeah, I always try and grade by the curve when you're looking at the first example of a huge genre that we have been familiar with for 30 years. Mm-hmm. It's like I, I give it a little slack because it's like somebody had the, to make the mistakes to figure out what doesn't work when you're telling these sorts of stories. And I'm, well, always, you,
2: I'm always willing to give you know a little extra uh, credence or slack, whatever, to the first of whatever it is. So, I mean, I, I can definitely get behind that.
3: Sure. But you're not wrong. I mean, it's not as though storytelling was just discovered and it's yeah. kind of boring.
0: Well, and if you, and you're right about the first of anything, I and mean, if you look at the first of season of, of It's Always Sunny or the first season of any TV show, when it's finding its voice, it's always going to be a little rough. And when you're kind of breaking new ground with something that's not really been done before, you have that much more ground to cover before you but, get to a, a comfortable spot. Yeah.
2: Just looking at this pilot, though, it's amazing to me that this has been around for as long as it has. I, well, I, and that's
0: thanks to the Daleks.
2: Well, I actually did step outside of your list, and I watched the very first appearance of the Daleks.
0: That's That one's a little rough, too. But,
2: <laughs> yep.
0: <laughs> but again, I mean, it's one of those things where they, they're trying to establish the character, and that character has changed a lot, even though the basic design of it hasn't and the voice, the the character themselves, there's a lot of things that changed. and But the character was so incredibly popular, despite Sidney Newman's insistence that he didn't want bug-eyed monsters on his show. Once that happened, everything took off, and he ran with it like a like a guy who just found a bag of money on the side of the road.
1: Yeah. So then uh, there's a the transition to Patrick Troughton, who was a doctor from 1966-1969. Companions such as Holly, Ben Jackson, Jamie McCrimmon, yes. uh, Victoria Waterfield, uh, Zoe Harriet. The major storyline that we watched was Tomb of the Cybermen.
3: So a few things about Troughton. When uh, William Hartnell retired, Trouton was widely considered one of the great actors of his time. And Hartnell basically picked his successor, saying, there is no living actor who can pick up this role except for Patrick Troughton. And they went and they okay. got him. That's a true story. Thanks.
1: And uh, this is the one, the episodes that I saw that were animated. Because I think I was, yeah, the... Really?
2: I didn't have a problem watching the actual episode.
1: The Tomb of yeah. the Cybermen?
2: Yeah. yeah it was live time? action for me.
1: Oh, you know what it was? That I remember because it was, this was the one where I wasn't able to find Tomb of the Cybermen and I wound up watching the Moonbase that had Cybermen in
2: the. Tomb of the Cybermen in the folder, didn't they? I? I thought.
1: Did you? I don't know. I've watched so much. My
3: brain.
2: <laughs> all over the place. <laughs> uh, the other thing
1: Man. I want to
3: call back before we move on is mm. we're talking about the companions. When you think of Doctor Who's companions, you always think of a usually attractive, almost always female. However, Jamie McCrimmon, the Scotsman, is the companion who got the most episodes. Yeah, well, like 115 or something. Oh wow!
2: And he didn't seem all that interesting.
3: Well, I mean, you gotta consider what they had to compare it to. This is before you get into the super interesting companions, like the uh, prehistoric chicken wearing leather and carrying a spear. In general, before Jamie McCrimmon. Wait, what? Oh yeah. <laughs> Wait, don't, yeah. yeah, we'll get there. We'll get there. Uh, yeah, well, Jamie McCrimmon. Uh, Comes into a show where the companion's role is mostly to scream. Okay. So yeah, you've got the Scotsman who is traveling along alongside the doctor, and well, while the doctor's thinking of things, if he's thinking too long, the Scotsman punches the alien.
0: <laughs> That's true. <laughs> I I, my that out that. <laughs> I had to reboot real quick. So. I missed what So You were just explaining Jamie McCormick's role on the show. And
3: yeah, yeah, talking about how he is the most, he's the companion with the most episodes.
0: Yes. And he still holds that to this day.
1: All right. So Joel, what do you think about this episode?
0: Um, you know, it's, I've seen it a couple of times and it, Toberman, the, you know, the, the large African-American man that looks a lot like, uh, Ben Johnson from night of the living dead. It's, uh, it's interesting. He made, by the way, it was in another episode you guys watched, Terror of the Autons. But it's it's interesting because the, the Cybermen had already appeared at this point. Um, they, let's see, when was that?
3: Well, they were was responsible that, for the first regeneration, if I recall.
0: In 66, which, incidentally, that was something else I was going to mention, was uh, uh, Hartnell was so sick, uh, ailing at that point, that he was forgetting his lines, and there's a lot of lines that they just account to count to Dr. Speak. But um, yeah, that's why Trouton took over. Hartnell didn't want to retire, but he was too sick to continue. And that's the only reason that the regeneration happened, which they had to write it into the show rather than cancel it. It was too popular. And that's what kept that as a ongoing theme throughout the show and has ultimately, I think, been the reason it's been successful this long. But anyway, um, I love this episode, even though, again, budgetary constraints and and 60s television kind of you have to suspend disbelief a bit that the Cybermen are coming from their tombs, which are plastic that they rip out of with uh sound effects behind it. Um, but uh, they they're still, you can, <laughs> right. They, they should have burped when they open. Um, <laughs> you still get a, a, an understanding that this character is something more than, than what it appears to be and something that, uh, you know, should be feared. And, you kind of get a little bit of, of the sense of how Troughton's doctor is, he plays up kind of the buffoon role where he um, acts like he doesn't know what's going on, but he knows more than anybody else in the room and he's just biding his time until he has the opportunity to, to do make something. His, and I, I, what's that?
1: it's just his, uh, he's, he's biting, like you said, he's waiting to make his move type of thing. And that's, that's what I, also notice about him it seems like he would he would play the what are you talking about you know that sort of thing just trying to like milking people for his information as long as possible before he did anything
0: and he very much was the template for matt smith's doctor which will find <clears throat> excuse me find this trend throughout the two episodes that each one of the modern doctors has a, a template that they were working off of based on kind of who their doctor was when they were growing up and and who they wanted to write into the show and he's very much Mount, Matt Smith's counterpart, um, where he's he's a little bit funnier, he's a little bit more goofy, um, but he's still at this core the same guy that was in the original series. He's just uh, got his his personality s- switched a bit along with his body. Yeah,
3: and let's but I love out, this episode. Oh. It's. I was going to say, let's call out Patrick Troughton for good decision making on his character, because his first idea for how he was going to play the doctor would have ruined the show. Like, we would not be talking. Originally, he thought, I'm going to play this guy as a time traveling buccaneer in blackface. Holy shit.
0: It was a different time.
3: Yeah, did not go with that, which is the reason we still have Doctor Who.
0: Yeah, they they went with Blackface. The space hobo instead.
3: Well, I think he was thinking of, like, different ways. Like, we're taking the Doctor in a different direction. So I think he was thinking, I'm going to base this on a time-traveling version of a Moorish pirate. And this is when that sort of thing was still, I, I don't want to say acceptable in the 60s, but definitely not like this is the death knell for your entertainment property because we know better that it would be even 10 years later. So yeah, yeah. Decided not to do that.
0: There's been a few instances during the run of the show where uh, a slight change in, in direction kept the show from, could have been disaster and instead kept it running. And as long as it has, what about you to you two guys or well, and Josh, what were your thoughts on this particular one?
1: Well, this is the one that I screwed up on, because so this is
0: the um, one he didn't watch. That's no, right. No, no. You watch Moonbase. Moon
1: yeah, I watched Moonbase. In which case, I did. I mean, because I went and I went to the library. and I helped, asked for some help to find the one I'm looking for. This Patrick Trout and the one with the Cyberman in it. And they gave me the Moonbase. And I just figured that was it. Uh, curse you, librarian! Um, <laughs> but this is but this was what, what I do like about us. This is the ones that I saw that had the animated in it, the animation. So yeah. it was like first episode was animated the second episode was live action then went back to animation and i have to say joel do you know when they animated
0: these um like it's been with before i want to say it was before the the new series got too far into it that they started going back and and doing that um
1: All right, because that's because it seemed a lot better than I was expecting for what I, I was expecting it to have been done like in the early '80s, late '70s, but it was animated like post two thousand.
0: I want to say it, it was um, okay, I was trying to see if I could find a date on it, because I remember just yeah. hearing about them being released fairly recently.:
1: Okay, well, that's right. we don't need to have the you know the whole thing, but it's I, I really enjoyed this is where the first one of these that I watched where I was like, "Oh. The character is, I I like this one. This is, he was smart. He took a step back. He, they had actual plans. He was not, he was, I don't say standoffish, but he was, (sighs) he was smarter than everybody else in the room, but didn't let anybody else know about it. Like you said before, Uh, I think the companions, the Scotsman and this one also him taking a swing at the Cybermen was pretty cool. Uh, The Cybermen uh, and their laser accordions. That they had strapped to their chest was pretty neat. Um, <laughs> it was, I mean, I, I can definitely see where their popularity of the show has, you know, people, you know, BBC was kind of like, all right, well, here, you know, here's a, an extra five hundred bucks, and they're like, awesome, we can get more cardboard. Um, but the effects definitely got better. And, you
2: can make more levers, yeah.
1: And it I, I liked him. He was I Troutman was, I think, a good choice. You know, if he handpicked the next person, they definitely made a great, a great uh, choice for it.
0: I think real quick two thousand oh, Go ahead. Released. Sorry. Two thousand what? Two fourteen.
3: Oh. I, actually before I go on, I want to hear you. Pat's take on this one, this doctor.
2: Um you know what, to be completely honest with you, I don't remember much about him. Himself, I remember the episode and the uh, horrible Cybermen design more than anything. <laughs> and Jamie, I, the Doctor didn't make a huge impression on me. Troughton. hmm,
1: you don't like the Cybermen and their polka party? <laughs> that's that's literally what it looked like. They're like they're wearing a they're wearing an accordion on their chest. We are the
2: Cybermen. Yeah, there's a oh, very
0: he pretty uh,
2: <laughs> <laughs> It's a very uh, a uh, non intimidating Cyberman.
3: I think one of the things that stands out to me about looking at this era is that uh, despite the fact the effects are dated and you've got some of the decisions by characters are a little goofy, I want to compare it directly to Lost in Space. Because aside from the main robot on Lost in Space, the effects are comparable. Uh, and in general, the writing is significantly more intelligent. And there were no children.
2: Uh, okay, I will agree. In in oh, well, let me let me. I don't know if because uh, the writing is one of the things I have the biggest problem with in the in the old shows. Um, over and over and over again, despite whoever the doctor was, the overwriting problem that I had with with a lot of the old episodes was. They okay, each one of them was like four episodes, and they felt the need. I, I, I knew what they were doing, they were kind of like taking off from the old, like 1930s, 1940s serials that they used to show before the movies, where like you know, there would always be something that would happen, you know, in little five minute vignettes or whatever, and then it would always end on a cliffhanger. And that's what they were trying to do with their little, you know, 20 minute whatever's, you know, 20 their their 20 minute stories. They, um. They're, they're trying to end every single one of them on a cliffhanger, but they don't have any way to come back from every cliffhanger every time they come back because they're just trying to get right back into the story. So rather – because they always just have the dumbest ways to just get out of the cliffhanger. It's like, oh, we're ending this episode, and, oh, Doctor Who is in – his life is in danger, and so is the companion. And then they come back, and then it literally, like, thir- it takes 30 seconds at most to end whatever peril it was. And we're like, okay, now we're just back on to the normal story. It's like, why bother with that? It's just so annoying to me. It's like, it's not real peril. You're not building up any real drama. If everybody knows, as soon as you come back, it's just going to be taken care of. Like, there's one episode we're watching where they get executed, and then you come back, and you like, oh, it wasn't really them. It was androids. Or there's another one where, oh, that you know, um, Sutek has him in a, in a mental mind hold, and he's about to crush him to death, and we come back, and, oh, Sutek just says, all right, well, I'm not done with you yet. You know, it's just, it's it's false... Drama, And I, I kept getting annoyed with it over and over and over again.
3: I don't think in a lot of this genre, television or movies, you there's any, like, I think they're really going to kill him off. It's like, we just saw the doctor getting killed off. How do the writers get him out of that? And yeah, sometimes the answer to that question is unsatisfying.
2: I, I would say much, much, much more than sometimes. I mean, they were very. They were. I mean, it was. It was consistently like one out of every eight was like, "Okay, that was kind of interesting and, and, and legitimate." The rest of it was just like, you know, the writers are just like the laziest way they can to just get him out of whatever situation he was left in last time.
3: Uh, talking about lazy writing decisions is actually for me a good transition onto the third Doctor John Pertwee. Can I
0: mention yeah. my my one yeah. thing that I tagged in here? Um, just because it's important in the in the timeline and because I love this character beyond belief, um, it, somebody who is not a villain and not a companion, uh, Brigadier General Alistair Lethbridge-Stewart is uh, probably the most beloved and longest-running character, even though he didn't appear in the most episodes versus maybe McCrimmon or um, overall. But he first appeared in Web of Fear in 68 with the second Doctor. Um, and then... Even after he passed in 2009, he's come up many, many times. His actual last episode physically on the show was on Battlefield, which was uh, the last episode of uh, Sylvester McCoy's run in 89. But uh, recently in Capaldi's run, uh, his daughter, Kate Lethbridge-Stewart, took over his role in Unit, and uh, she appeared in the Zygon Inversion 2015, which you've never seen that two-parter. It, it, the Doctor Capaldi's doctor gives one of the greatest speeches in television history it's just phenomenal the writing on that but um they they mention him and they have his picture hanging on the uh, the plane that they're flying on and you get to see capaldi's character kind of react to that in in character and him being a doctor who fan when he was a kid you can kind of see in his eyes kind of how much that character meant to him and he's he's just a and we'll talk about him here on the third doctor because he was in that episode but I just he had to be mentioned.
3: Yeah, it's worth uh I mean people joked that uh, the doctor was the brigadier's companion.
0: <laughs> yes. Especially during the third doctor's run when he's, he's he's stuck on earth um and can't leave, so he becomes a uh, hired by a unit as their scientific I forget what they his his
3: and that's what I was getting at when I was talking about lazy writing being our good bridge. So we're, we're going right back to the transition because okay. the BBC decided, you know, it's really expensive to uh, build all these sets for weird different planets and weird different times. So let's just stick him on Earth. And, and I honestly think as much as I like John Pertwee, uh, he, it, the show suffers for that decision to save the BBC a couple bucks. So, Mike, you want to well, run us down the, the basics?
0: They even go a little bit further when they introduce the Humobile, and I don't mean Bessie, the the yellow car that he drives around. I'm talking about the actual Humobile that looks like a spaceship. Which are you fucking with me? No, I'll I'll post a picture in the chat. But there was a a, a one episode run where they introduced the Humobile, which uh, uh, is it looks like a man array. What's that? Looks like a man array. Yeah, it, it it looks like it was a an attempt, possibly for some sort of a toy tie-in, which you know the shows had a, decades of toys made. But right, yeah, it's it's kind of funny. But anyway, so yeah, run us down there.
3: on the basics.
1: John Pertwee, nineteen seventy, 1970, nineteen seventy-four. Uh, my take on him was Gilderoy Lockhart meets Chitty Chitty Bang Bang. Um. <laughs> Liz Shaw as a companion, Joe Grant, Sarah Jane Smith, and the terror of the autons is also the first appearance of the master and is the uh, show that we watched. I kind of like this. This, this is, I think is the first one, even though, you know, this is the only one of him that I've seen. I kind of dug it. The master was kind of cheesy. It was very, um, 1970s, more, more like the old 70s spy Stuff rather than sci-fi. I mean, you could just replace the autons with you know whatever invading force you want to have, whether you know whatever it would be, Russians or whatever. But um, <laughs> I I kind of dug this. You know the mas- the master. I do my big issue with him was he's bringing the autons. They're going to take over the planet, and they're going to bring me along with. And then at the very end, Doctor Who says, "You think they can tell the difference between you and me?" And then he's like, oh crap, you're right. And then just joins Doctor Who. That's temporarily. Temporarily. Um a lot I learned very, a lot about the plastics business in the 70s in Great Britain.
0: <laughs> Are you it gonna was, talk about the chair scene?
1: The chair scene was amazing. <laughs> the <laughs> chair
0: scene. When that guy
1: is like, Oh, he's gonna sit in the chair, and I'm like, Oh, he's gonna sit in the chair, it's gonna mind it's going to control his brain or something. Oh, no, he's going to sit in the chair. Oh, it's cold and clammy. I don't want to sit in the chair. And then the chair asphyxiates him?
0: Yeah, it smothers him to death,
1: basically. It smothers him to death. And by smothering to death, I mean he reached up, grabbed the top of this big plastic chair, and folded it over on the top of his head and screamed a lot. <laughs> Which is exactly that. That point, I think, was one of my favorite parts. The freaky, big-headed things running around giving away the, the daffodils.
2: Yeah, like... like- there's no possible way that I would take anything from anything wearing that mask.
1: I know. And people are like clamoring to them. Oh, give me a plastic daffodil. Like,
2: oh, can I please have your, your flower? Because like, yeah. when they're passing out flowers at the, uh, you know, when the Hare Krishnas are passing out flowers at the airport, nobody is standing in line waiting to get them. I'll tell you that. When
1: was the last time you were in an airport? <laughs> because yeah. so I want to know what airport you go to now that the Hare Krishnas are running I'm around. I'm just
2: trying to. to think of the only time people are passing out flowers. Oh,
3: okay. They really well, this is been... the late '60s, so
0: I'm just going to assume they were all high. <laughs> <laughs> they really should have been like had a little like sound system and been like playing Winchester Cathedral. People would have flocked. Been, like, oh yeah.
1: Now, the, my other favorite moment of this was when the doctor is break uh, cracking the safe in the office, and he oh we'll find out more about this opens a safe and there's an auton standing in the safe, and it's like yeah. I just see the, I just see them like hey Frank what. They're coming and standing here. Let's see if go see if the roof is leaking in that safe. Oh, okay, here, let me go check out. Slam. Well, it's a good thing I don't breathe air because I don't know how long I'm going to be stuck in here. And then Dr. opens up, and he's like, "Oh, hey. Oh, Dr. shoot, you know, it's like I it was cheesy. I laughed a lot in these, the chair especially, um, the little gremlin thing too was kind of the yeah,
2: little- What the what the hell was that? <laughs> All, all it takes is one degree temperature change, and it turns to life and it, no
0: yeah, not don't mess with the nesting consciousness,
3: <laughs> yeah, I was gonna say they they go from goofy and then they remain goofy, and eventually they get pretty terrifying. We'll get to that in next next week's show, so so no. yeah, John pertwee's run it's like, hey, we've got this show, it's all about traveling in time and space. The BBC's like, "Well, how about we don't do that?" <laughs> how about we travel on mm-hmm. space on Earth?
2: <laughs> Maybe, Maybe hop over reason? to Brighton. What was their reasoning for him being stuck on Earth?
3: I think the Time Lords uh banished him Were had him imprisoned. Uh he, he was like exiled to Earth.
2: Mm.
3: Yes, and basically. And
1: i I'm sorry, jump back. Since when can the Time Lords like just physically appear in mid midair? Like when in the very beginning, when he's walking up into the to the lab and uh Gumpy or whatever the hell his name was got shrunk and put in his lunchbox.
2: What's the
0: hell's the name they got <laughs> Again? They didn't have a full grasp on what the you know the uh the characters could and couldn't do. And so at that point they were still trying to figure some of that out. So some but, of the continuity, yeah, was a little...
1: Suddenly, suddenly he hallucinates and, you know, sees a little guy in a bowler hat floating around. Yeah. And then he has to uh, disable the bomb that is so c- cleverly strung up by sitting on the table. The string is going to pull it and the bomb is going to fall off.
2: And well, I love, I love his clever maneuver for disarming it. I'm just going to open the door really fast and dive and hope I catch it.
1: Well, and I'm sitting here the whole time going, there's a window right there. Break the freaking window and climb in there.
3: Yeah, all the master's plots were actually taken from Spy versus Spy.
2: <laughs> right? Like, <I> <laughs> I, I, they definitely need to change his name from the master to the hack.
0: A lot of the early uh, plot city hatches are very much like that. And that's it doesn't really, until the new series, they start to get a bit more... <laughs> the, the,
2: the next thing he's going to do is, like, I'm going to put butter on the floor outside of his bathroom...
0: That happened in <laughs> series four.
2: Yeah, um, sure it did make,
1: make the scooby doo slippy noise.
0: <laughs> now the thing with the, the, with John Pertwee's doctor that was different than the other doctors and still has not really been uh, done much since a little bit here and there with, because Capaldi's doctor is fashioned after the, the third doctor in a lot of ways, a little bit of the fourth, but primarily the third um, he was the action doctor and he was the kind of the dashing spy doctor. Because the intention was that he was going to be very much, um, like a like a spy character, and he he had his own form of fighting called uh, Venusian Aikido that he did, and he physically fought people on several occasions during the run of the of his series before the Fourth Doctor took over, and that was something that hadn't been seen before and really hasn't been seen much since.
2: This white-haired dude,
0: yeah, John <laughs> Petrie. the fancy and Hobbit.
2: It's supposed to be a badass spy guy
3: got, yes. got it. you just
1: got you just use the same voice from uh better off dead him
2: <laughs> and her got it
0: <laughs> which i'm trying to think how old would he have been at that time he was born in 19 well 1919 and he started in 20 eh? so yeah i, I was thinking he was, he was a little younger just white haired but no
1: okay he was born the same year as my grandmother
0: <laughs> yeah which, in 70, he would have been around almost 50. So, yeah, it was a little a little unbelievable. But, again, I, when I he did, on I was,
2: think badass when I look at, at, yeah. at this man.
1: You look at that but guy... I think you know,
0: if you would look at some that, of his...
1: That guy knows a keto, But not
0: just any Aikido. No, that, that,
2: that guy know. owns an Aikido, is what it is.
0: <laughs> his earlier career, though, I mean, that also kind of, I think, dictates... His earlier film career kind of dictates a little bit of what the audience expected... From him, and I think that partially influenced the writing. That and the fact that since he was stuck on Earth and he wasn't going through time and space, they had to find other things to to make it interesting. So, I think that was so some of the logic.
2: The, so they went with the master.
0: Well, and yeah. the master, as time goes on, gets much more badassy, which we'll find out. But this also introduced the world to Sarah Jane Smith, who arguably is the most popular and famous companion, even though she didn't have as long a run. Of all of them. The most beloved. She even had her own spinoff series for five seasons.
1: Oh yeah. The sir. Yeah. Where she had the kids that worked with her.
0: Yeah. It was, it was definitely a kid's show with her and canine. And, uh, and then that carried over into tenant.
1: All right. Josh, you got anything you want to fill in on the Pertwee thing?
3: No, I think I've said what I wanted to say about it. It's like, he's not necessarily a bad doctor. I think this is starting a trend, which I'm going to come back to with these doctors of the doctor and the show around him are kind of mismatched.
1: I could see that. And, you know, the writing is kind of janky because, like, the master shows up and he's going to take over the he's planning to take over the world. You know what the first thing he's going to go for and get on his side? Carnies. <laughs>
0: <laughs> What's more terrifying than that?
1: <laughs> you know, lawn what? your chairs lawn chairs and carnies. I don't know. beanbag chairs? Plastic inflatable daffodils. I don't know. I, I,
3: <laughs> this is the same villain that decides that Eric Roberts is a good host. Just saying. Yeah. We'll we'll get get to that that.
2: Cybermen mm-hmm. with accordions?
1: <laughs> uh, sc- sc- here comes the Cybermen. <laughs> oh, Hans- they'll
2: me. make you poke until you die.
1: <laughs> All right. So um, we want to get on
3: to the fourth doctor Baker,
1: 1974, 1981, Sarah Jane Smith companions, Harry Sullivan, Lila. What? Lila. Not that Lila. canine no. Romana, Adric Nissa, Tegan Jovanka. And the storyline that we watched was pyramids of Mars.
3: So Lila, Lila is the chick I was talking about. Who's the girl from the prehistoric past who wears only leather and carries a spear.
0: Yep. She was with him. The majority, well, uh, uh, almost the majority of his run, at least a large chunk of it.
3: It must be what
2: Tarangilila is named after.
0: I it probably is has something yeah. to do with it, but I mean, she was an interesting counterpart because she did come from a very uh, primitive and and violent race, and so you know, here's this guy that's kind of the goofy kind of doctor, very much plays up the the buffoon. Um, and it's very jovial, and but we'll get down to business when it needs to. And then he's got this counterpoint, which he's very much the opposite. So he's kind of got the, a tamer
1: of it. This is the jelly baby one, Patrick.
0: Yes. my favorite.
2: When I, when I think of Doctor Who, in my head, this is pretty much the Doctor that I think of. Mm-hmm. As somebody that's never seen the show, he's the one that I, I most identify as Doctor Who.
1: Yeah, this is the one I I first knew when I found out about Doctor Who from my really weird aunt. Um, Aunt? Cousin? I don't even know. Uh, The one that that shows up to family gatherings wearing the Doctor Who scarf.
2: Your your cousin aunt?
1: My cousin aunt, yes. Uh, (laughs) I found out about Doctor Who from her told about when it was supposed to show up. I think she gave me a VHS tape of it once. And I was kind of like, I'll stick with Star Wars. Thank you. Um, I am going to say this right now. If the only episode that I have seen was Pyramids of Mars, I do not like Tom Baker. He he cringes and he looks hurt really well. I was expecting for them, this from what I've understood as him being the most popular of the classic doctors, I was expecting a little bit more from him. But it seems like every time he turned around, he was getting bitch slapped by one of the enemies. Sure.
0: It's one of those things where I mean you definitely need to see more than just the one episode, but I mean as as even Patrick attested to, he has always been known as kind of the face of Doctor Who, and uh, not just because he was on the series the longest from 74 to 81 he he kind of made the role into something okay. that became when it hit its heights of its popularity yeah. um was because of that. And he was, he was a relative unknown when he got the job uh, and uh, this made his career and he's um, been riding it out ever since. Good for him. Pretty much. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, both his mannerisms
3: and his personal style are very, very distinctive. And I think the best thing I could say is like, he's high concept. You look at him and someone says, this is Dr. Who. And you're like, okay, I don't know what this is, but I sort of get it. And, like I kind of want to know more about this guy.
1: I'm going to have to watch more of him to find out what the attraction is.
0: Well, and to to speak about the scarf, which you mentioned earlier on of me being birthed with, uh, when they sent uh, the the pattern and all of the the uh, the supplies to the seamstress to make the scarf, she didn't realize that she wasn't supposed to use it all. So oh, that's
1: why it's that long. <laughs> so
0: right, they showed up with it. And they're like, here you go. And they're like, Oh, it's shit. This is too big. And they decided to use it. Although there were two versions of it. There was a the one that he wears when he's just acting in the scenes, and then when he's supposed to have action type sequences, they had a shorter one, just for safety reasons.
1: Yeah, I can and see that how that sense. would be you know, that could that could wind up with him, you know, sadly dying on on set on set, you know.
3: Yes. In this run, you've also got a lot of more comedic elements with the standard of sci-fi action. And then with especially Leela, you've got the sex appeal that brought people in. Like the producers desperately wanted her to continue on as a companion, even after she wanted to leave the show. They are just like, here's more buckets of money. How many of these buckets do we need to hand you to keep you on the show? And she's like, I, I got to leave.
0: Well, and once Romana came in, who incidentally married Tom Baker, and she was another Time Lord as well. I mean, they traveled together for a while, and then they were like, okay, we need more hot chicks. So they brought Nissa and Tegan in, and uh, they had double the, double the pleasure, fun. I don't know what I'm saying.
1: Did she marry the doctor or actually marry Tom Baker?
0: No. Uh, she, Tom Baker and, and um, – got him drawing a blank on her name all of a sudden. The woman who played Romana were married. Okay. Married Mary Tam. And oh. Margaret, no. That's right.
1: Everything goes and back, Japan. to and so uh, Joel. I mean, where are you? Where are you on this guy? Is he is he your favorite?
0: Yeah, I mean that's where I started. I mean, even though I started watching in about eighty four because of my father, I uh, uh, on on PBS. This was the first episodes that I watched. Um, no, wait,
1: you said you started watching because of your father, because your father enjoyed it also, or because he locked you in a room for the television and only played this.
0: No, because he was a fan. He loves, he um, loves old classic, like B sci-fi and stuff. And he, he's always been a fan of the show. Um, and that's kind of what got me into it, which got my mom kind of into it peripherally. Um, but yeah, he's, he's, has been and, and probably always will be my favorite doctor. And definitely of the classic series, which we were going to touch on this later, but um, I don't know. He's just something about him.
1: Now I can see where the charm would come in. I can see where, you know, people would be, you know, could see more of this. I I just, I don't, I don't just don't see the attraction to it. Cause it seemed like in this one, especially like he, he shows up for the pyramids of Mars episode, walks through the, walks through the cardboard set into the room where what was the what was the bad guy's name in this one Sutek Sutek he walks into he walks through the curtain and suddenly he's facing Sutek and Sutek just takes him down I, and again i think it may be more of the i've watched the new ones a lot and i'm expecting that swashbuckling type of thing and one of the things that really did throw me on this also was i was expecting the doctor to be known more in these episodes you know what I mean? Because it's like in the in the new episodes, it's like, oh, the doctor, oh, the doctor, the doctor, the doctor, and this one, they're kind of like, oh, here's a guy in a scarf. Don't know who this guy <laughs> is. Like, how the hell did you get in here? Did you climb it through the window? Someone throw this Yahoo out. You know that sort of thing. It wasn't there wasn't any sort of like we we kind of know who you are. We've heard of you type of thing. As there are in like the tenant and the, uh, uh, the the current ones, but. um
3: they did know. kind of address that, though, because they went to where unit headquarters would be built in, like, 100 years. So, like, if they'd gone to the same place 100
0: years later, everyone would have known him. Okay. Patrick? Well, and Which, he's, he's not in space, either. He's on Earth. So, yeah. I mean, the, the aliens are more likely to know who he is than the Earthlings were at this point. <laughs>
1: you, you may not know this, but I'm a big thing off this
0: planet. I'm <laughs> kind of a big deal, yeah, Patrick.
2: My TARDIS smells of rich mahogany.
0: <laughs> Many leather-bound books.
2: <laughs> I'm close personal friends with Sutek. Um, <laughs> I don't know. I mean, this this I I, I like Tom Baker as a um, as an idea, and this was the first time I've seen him as Doctor Who and everything, and, and I like the concept. Like like Josh said. You can look at him and see that there's something about that character, you know. But um, I don't know. It, again, it was just more of the the, the really kind of crappy plot. Like um, like like Mike mentioned, you know, he walks into the room and Tech immediately takes him to his knees and they cut away. And they come back and he's just like, yeah, I, I don't want to kill you right now. Let's move on. You know, and I'm like, well, why did we even do that then?
0: That happens to you on a daily basis.
2: I don't meet Sutek every day.
0: No, but people you walk into a room, people try and take you down, and they're like, "Yeah, I'll save that for later." Well, that's because he's on his knees.
2: <laughs> I, 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 I walk in on my knees.
3: <laughs> wow.
1: Um, so that's what about
2: what about Sutek's
1: uh, mystery hand?
2: Yeah, I didn't know what you were talking about. What mystery hand?
1: There, there is a point where Sutek finally stands up from his chair, right? And in the corner back, like if he's. You're looking in his from his left in the back right corner. When he stands up, there is a hand right there huh. that kind of quickly disappears. I missed it. I that was my favorite part of the entire series.
2: Must so have been I, a key grip or something.
1: Yeah, somebody who's like holding him down, letting because I'm sure he couldn't see anything in that uh in that mask.
2: And and like what 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 was with like his little monitor that I don't know. I just found it very odd. Just a strange setup. Like if, um, if you're going to imprison somebody and paralyze them and everything, you know, why put them in a throne facing this one monitor that they can use to control things with? Like, why give them that option?
0: They're not heartless.
2: <laughs> They're just mm-hmm. dumb.
0: Hey, you're in prison. Maybe.
1: You know how much you like to uh, record things.
2: Yeah. So we're just well, gonna give you a DVR I mean, for eternity. You
0: yeah. could also also talk about the logic of building building wire framed robots with giant uh, breasts that choke people to death rather than using their arms. <laughs> I mean, you could talk about that, but it's not. It's it's just the the fun of kind of checking out for an hour and a half or whatever to enjoy a, a story and and. But heaven
2: forbid any villain ever build a fast creature in this world
0: that comes later at this point they had to you know have enough story to get through you know the four 25 minute serial episodes
2: yeah so they and had to
0: slow things down a little bit
2: no they didn't they didn't have to they just did
0: call right. it
1: bbc pacing <laughs> <laughs> so after tom baker then peter davidson shows up Hang on.
3: Uh, we're, we're oh. at four we're at four through eight doctors this is probably th- our best spot to take our break And then come back and talk about the fifth doctor.
1: That sounds good. Let's do that.
3: So, yeah, we'll take a break. And when we come back, we're going to be talking about Peter Davidson.
1: All right. Davidson. There's
3: no D. Oh, Davidson. You're right. Yeah.
0: He has no D. (laughs) Nope. Just at the beginning. He likes a D at the front, not in the middle.
3: That means break break
1: for me, too. Right there. (laughs) All right. We'll be back in a little bit. All right, we are back, and we are talking more Doctor Who. We have just finished up conversation about. Do we finish with Tom Baker or we go to Peter Davidson? Totally missed. Uh,
3: we've got eight doctors. We stopped after number four, so we're right. talking Peter Davidson Peter, right now.
1: Peter Davidson and the, um, the caves of androgyny, uh, <laughs> the episode that we watched. Uh, Peter Davidson, nineteen eighty one to nineteen eighty four. He had companions known as Edric, Nissa, Tegan, Jovanka. Vislord Turlo, Chameleon, Perry Brown, and other things they got from dropping a box of Boggle dice. Uh, <laughs> so, wh- Joel, why is this considered one of the greatest Doctor Who stories ever told? The Caves of Anastrazi.
0: <laughs> the Caves of Androzani. Adden- caves of
2: Anne Canfield. The,
0: ca- the Caves of Androzani. Um, it just. Everything about it has resonated with fans and people that are watched the show since the beginning and it's this is not necessarily everybody's opinion but it's just one of those episodes that everybody considers to be one of the, the best written and the most thoughtful and that I, I don't know what it is about it that strikes a chord with people i enjoyed it quite a bit when i finally saw it again because i'd seen it when i was a kid but in the context it just it's it's just a very well-written episode um, and uh, I don't know. It's something you have to see, I think to really get, because there's a lot going on. Plus, as I think uh, Patrick maybe pointed out, one of you pointed out, this was the, uh, the last episode of Davison, if I'm not mistaken.
1: Yeah. This is the one where he, he makes his uh, regeneration.
0: Yeah. Yeah. He sacrifices himself um, and goes, regenerates into Colin Baker at, at the beginning of the next episode. Well, into this episode.
1: All right, so this one starts out with them showing up on a planet, and and I'll have to say it correctly at least once, but I know this is going to be and Androzani,
0: and Rosani, yes.
1: And Rosani Minor. Okay, so it's the only place where this you can get the Spectrox drug, which apparently makes you live forever. Yes?
2: No, it makes you uh, age in half the time. Oh, okay. Yeah, it
3: doubles your lifespan.
2: doubles your lifespan
1: by causing you to age slower. All right. So obviously this is a popular thing. The doctor shows up, they see tracks in the sand and him being the curious little guy that he is. They want to follow that and wind up in the middle of a gun running situation where they are mistaken as the, uh, the actual gun runners and taken prisoner by Morgus. Forget who the, the character. So either they're taken prisoner by the people that are working for the government. That's mining this stuff uh, you... Yeah, brief- they're
3: mistaken for android gunrunners.
1: Android gunrunners, yes. And then you see a dragon for a little while. And the dragon disappears f- until the end of it. The dragon showed up at the beginning, right? I'm not I'm not hallucinating that?
3: Yeah, the monster killed, like, three or four soldiers, and then, yeah, they don't refer to it again for a while, aside from reports of, like, random soldiers will tell their superiors, oh, it's in this area, and our guys keep disappearing.
1: Okay. Yeah. Uh, winds up down there, and they get mistaken for uh for the android gunrunners who are being led by Salatine and his leather boy outfit hmm. um the mask that was that was kind of weird his whole getup was kind of strange
0: yeah it was bring little, out the space uh, gimp yeah pretty much m right
1: <clears throat> so uh yeah so they they are being led by the gimp and he tells them oh you've been step you stepped in raw spectrox which is, un, uh, you know, which apparently is bad, and the antitoxin is the milk of the queen bats, who are all in the deepest levels of the mind. So that's plot line one, along with plot line of gun running androids. Um, I I do say this is much better written than the ones that I've seen before. I think there's a you know the plot lines that are going on. You've got more than one thing going on. The Doctor himself is actually kind of uh, the um is very clever in this one in you can talking his way out of things and and that sort of thing. But I, again, it, I don't know what it is about these, but it seems this one came out in 84 and it may be my brain, but it seems like it should be earlier than that. You know, like just because of the effects and all that, I'm thinking about what was on TV uh, versus, I guess, versus TV versus great Britain versus the United States. What TV was in 84. I mean, we're, were effects for sci-fi shows. I mean, this was like middle of Battlestar Galactica for us, wasn't it?
3: Uh, Yeah, but I mean, that didn't age particularly well either. I mean, even when we look back at the A-team about the same time, like the acting is, I think about on par. And I think the writing for this was better.
2: Okay.
1: Yeah, I could see that. I mean, writing, writing wise also, I mean, that's A-team finds group, A-team shoots watermelons at people, A-team wins. (laughs)
3: this is also where i think perry brown is at her best because she was originally just pure sex appeal they're just like let's put this girl with large breasts out there and try and do the same thing we did with leela and they went so far that they are getting complaints about her being oversexed to the
0: bbc well and and when they 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 chose her for the role because she could do an american accent which she never thought was very good but they uh they they're like, can you do an American accent? She's like, yeah. They're like, you're hired. So <laughs> she became and well, entered large tracts of land. I I don't think hurt, which I'm sure Pat was a fan of. <laughs> yep, they're still <Yeah>. the laughing.
3: <laughs> You've got this narrow window for Perry where she's not being abused by the next doctor, and she's not a underdeveloped character because she's just there for her appearance. And this is firmly within that window.
0: Well and uh, I think she
2: was attractive. I don't think she was like anything, you know, horribly special.
0: Well she's she's definitely the least clad of the, the companions other than Leela. Leela was consistently in her, you know, bikini thing, but Perry very much is uh in small clothing in a lot of the a lot of the episodes and very improperly dressed for dashing about on on mountainsides and things like that. But um, yeah, she
1: looked like she was on her way to like an eighties cocaine club.
0: <laughs> it, it was the eighties. That's true. I, when they, like, when and, they chose...
2: it was it was a cocaine slash hiking club. because <laughs> she was wearing
0: boots. Is kind of considered the the humanitarian doctor. Um, he uh was a a lot better known actor. He was on a show called All Creatures Great and Small, and was a big kind of name at that point, And they wanted to kind of change gears from Baker's role after when he took over. So he, he takes it from a different perspective. It's a lot more serious. And, uh, he's, yeah, very much. So more of a, like I said, he too. to, he's got his cricket whites on.
2: Oh, is that what those were?
3: Uh, yeah. yeah. And the, the show goes dark for his run where they actually kill off a companion at one point, And you've got a lot more horror elements, uh, uh, you probably don't see this much darkness again until you get into New Who.
0: Yeah, Adric's, Adric was one of the least favorite companions of any of the eras, being a a, uh, a super math wizard kid that was always getting himself into trouble and kind of a smartass. And when he died in Earthshock, he saved the... Uh, the Basically, the he just crashed the Cyberman's ship into a uh, prehistoric earth thus causing the extinction of the dinosaurs. But yeah, his death was, was kind of a, a blow to a lot of people, even though they didn't like him. Like it was a big deal when it happened.
2: Hmm. Uh, the fatal caves of Andre Agassi.
0: <laughs> there he goes nice. again. <laughs> I like I like that one. <laughs> so what did you think, Pat, of this particular episode?
2: Uh, I thought the villain was ridiculous as usual, um, and I, I liked him as a doctor, and I liked you know the companion Perry, you know. But I mean, I just I got real tired of the whole. Um, I I was I got I got to say I was impressed that you know they did kill him at the end of the episode. I was like, okay, you, yeah, we know you're dying of this thing, and you're gonna find the cure, and let's get it over with. And he actually did die and re- regenerated. So I was like, okay, egg on my face. <laughs> But, um, again, what my, one of my biggest thoughts at the end of it is like, well, if that's really considered one of the greatest Doctor Who stories, then I don't ever really know why this is so popular.
3: Yeah, I, I, Joel's saying that is the first time I'd ever heard it. Like, yeah. I, I've read a lot of top 50, and uh, it's usually in there, but it's usually near the bottom. Of course, I think a lot of those top 50 lists skew heavily towards New Who. So that's worth saying.
0: Well, and you almost have to take them as two different entities in a lot of respects because, as we've said many times, the pacing, the writing, and so many the, – the the cost prohibitives of the original show kind of put it in a different category. You have to watch it in almost a different mindset. And so sometimes I think you almost have to separate the two in order to to do those types of rankings. But
1: Now, you had mentioned this before, that they were very – Low, I mean, obviously they were very low budget, but apparently, did BBC just not catch on to the fact that this was getting popular? And they're
0: not well, they it, it already
2: it's probably one of those things where you don't want to like just completely jump up the, the budget, like you know, and totally change the show. I mean, you got to keep an F, you got to keep some of the camp of it, I think, because that's part of the appeal to these guys, to the people that like it. Like, if they suddenly just went, you know, into, like, you know, ILM-type graphics, you know, I don't think people would enjoy it as much.
1: Do you think that's true, Joel? Do you think if they, with with this type of thing, if they got rid of the cheesiness of it, would that be an upgrade or would people stop watching it?
0: You mean still or then? No, yeah. If they had,
2: like, just jumped immediately, you know, like, once they got popular, if they dumped a bunch of money into it and suddenly you know, became on the forefront of uh, of special effects like ILM, you know, like Industrial Light and Magic.
0: I mean, I think they were dumping as much money as they could into it, at least uh, during Baker's run when it was at well, it.
2: Where were they spending it? On the craft services?
0: <laughs> you got to understand that we live now in an
3: unprecedented time of TV budgets the Game of Thrones, the Battlestar Galactica's, uh, even like The Lost's, those sorts of TV budgets were completely unthinkable, even as recent as the mid-90s. It's just like oh. th- you only got that kind of money if you were making a movie. Right. TV was kind of yes, a- but even,
2: even Buck Rogers had better special effects than this show.
3: Mm. He- I don't think that ages as well as your memory tells you it does.
2: Yeah. No, I guarantee you it won't, but I'm just saying, I mean, I, I think, you know, I mean, I don't know. Maybe, maybe I'm wrong.
0: But, I'm but I mean, it, if you compare the, the American versus the BBC shows at the time, I mean, I, yeah, I don't, I think Josh is right. I mean, I don't think they're that far off. There are definitely some, just there's some differences between them in terms of that, but you know, the BBC, as far as money goes, I mean, they were throwing a lot of money at it. Um, and it, it's hard to make a, a show like this um, for as many episodes as it had per series. And uh, like Josh said, I mean, the, the amount of money then versus now is a totally different thing. Because now a TV show, they realize that it can be the same quality and level as as a as a film, but they have to carry it for 14 episodes or whatever. Then... You know, TV was separate. They were two separate entities. And, um, well, it, yeah.
1: part of the change in television, you know, the, the effects in television versus the effects in movies that has been, you know, the upswing of them in the last, I'd say it almost two decades, um, has been just from the affordability side of things. It's become really cheap to do pretty good effects nowadays. So I think that's why you've seen such a swing upswing on the uh like you said, Pat, with Lost and you know the, the Game of Thrones and that sort of thing.
3: All right. So we ready to move on to Colin Baker?
0: Yes. The uh, Oh, I was just gonna say arguably one of the uh the least favorite of all the doctors, unfortunately. Fuck this guy.
3: Oh. <laughs> and you no know, spoilers for oh. best best and least I, like if the entire run of him was just someone punching him in the face, I would have been okay with it. <laughs>
1: okay. Uh, well, 84 to 86 for Colin yep. Baker.
3: Two years. Punch him in
1: the face for two years. Perry Brown and Mel. And Vengeance on Varos was the episode that we watched. So, Josh, it seems like you have a little bit of pent up aggression
3: on this guy. <laughs> well, the thing is, I wanted to like him. I, I wanted to not judge him on his stupid coat. But the thing is is he is just such an insufferable asshole to everyone and uh he pretty much chokes out Perry who the previous doctor died for like
0: I just hate his attitude hate his stupid face hate his coat <laughs> Here's here's the thing with Colin um first of all he didn't he didn't make the decisions for the character and his his costuming option that he wanted to go with was an Ecclesons type outfit and his intention was to go more that direction with the character and they said you know what we really like this idea of a uh, silly clown costume and we're going to go with that and he's like well alright I guess I got to do that because I'm signed up for the show and they they wrote the character in such a way that they made him I don't think the intention was to make him as disliked as he is and if you watch the entire run, I, because I, I, I'd seen him when, it, when they aired, because this is when I first started watching. So these were new episodes for me. I liked him because it was Doctor Who and it was on. But going back and rewatching every single episode, because uh, I started with the fourth when I started my run of trying to watch everything. And so I watched his entire run. And I grew to like him by the end of the run. And if you follow him on Facebook and, and other social media, this guy is the nicest guy. He loves the fact that he was a doctor and I feel bad for him from all the hate he gets. And it's made me like him more as the character. And when he went on to do the big finish audio, he got a chance to make the character what he wanted it to be. And now he's become Hmm. a lot more popular because of that. uh, Because he got to be a softer doctor and got to ease into that character. And he's become a lot more beloved because of that. And because of his social media presence. Um, sure, Because he's so
3: I don't uh, accommodating hate Colin Baker. Well, Let me make it clear. I, I don't hate Colin Baker. I hate the sixth doctor. I, yeah. If I'm going to live in a world where I can never forgive Ant-Man as Hank Pym because of slapping around Janet as the Wasp, I'm going to apply the exact same. I don't forgive him for choking
0: Perry. Yeah, he, he definitely got some very poor decision making from the BBC in terms of the character. And unfortunately never had the time to get out of that phase. Like Capaldi, when he came into, to the character had, had a similar problem for her for his first year, but they, they figured that out and tweaked it as the next two series ran on here. He never got that chance. It
1: seems like this is the Walter Peck syndrome. You know, like every, the guy who plays Walter Peck still gets shit from people because he played Walter Peck from Ghostbusters. You know, it's not like he's not really an asshole. They just pay me to play an asshole on TV, type of thing. Sure,
3: absolutely. It's just like the doctor to me. I was shocked that the doctor for two years was an unpleasant man who slapped women around. I just like that's that's not fun for me.
0: And he had his moments of of benevolence and and being the doctor that you wanted to see. And especially if you watch the the trial of the Time Lords, which was taken into an entire run of him on trial that that's it's an excellent series and it's it, it, it introduces the you know you've got the veil yard and it's a really interesting run to watch and it, it's what made me kind of become a fan of his more so because of that and you know the episode that i had you guys watch vengeance on varos introduced one of the characters that is on the list of of villains that people remember which is sill who just is a very creepy <laughs> little son of a bitch.
3: Yeah, what the hell was that thing? <laughs> that was kind of neat the way they did the effects for him. Sure, his face didn't seat into his mask 100% uh, perfectly. But like when you compare his effects to a lot of the other creature effects, I thought he
0: looked really cool.
2: Yeah, it's just very disturbing. And I love how everybody reacted to him. Like, what is that?
0: <laughs> well, and he came back for another episode later on. He, he made another appearance. It's
2: very disturbing like the way he would like constantly lick his lips and all that stuff and make that, yeah
0: the just, laugh he had well, was just terrifying. Yeah. The <laughs> thing that he Yeah, had. that thing. Like, yeah. He's a very memorable villain. Plus it's a very dark episode with a lot of kind of uh, it's interesting because it kind of was foreshadowing a lot of what potentially could still be coming for television kind of that running man syndrome of of watching violence on living beings on television for entertainment.
2: But it was just kind of unfortunate that it was two, uh, two series in a row of they show up somewhere, they get mistaken, they get arrested. And then they, the whole time they're just, Oh, execution is coming.
3: Yeah. With a little episode of black mirror subplot. Was pretty. I do appreciate, even though I don't like Colin Baker, the fact that they decided to make his entire second series like
0: one long arc. Which, if if you guys get a chance, if you are interested enough in the series, it's worth watching the entire Trial of the Time Lord, and if nothing else, just to watch the Valeyard.
3: Yeah, we'll we'll get to that because I, I, I'm looking forward to talking about some of these villains. But before that, we should go on to Doctor Number Seven.
1: Yes. Seventh Doctor, Sylvester McCoy, which looks, he looks exactly like you would expect a guy named Sylvester McCoy to look like. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. companions, Mel Bush and okay. Uh Remembrance of the Daleks. He fought the Daleks in this one. He had, was the, if you don't remember which one he was, he was the one with, was it an umbrella or was it a cane?
0: An umbrella with the question mark on the yeah, end.
1: Yeah, the question mark umbrella thing. Um, Oh all no all, looked like a jovial guy
3: <laughs> he's yeah, his characterization a lot of people don't like him either because the ratings dipped so low that it led to the cancellation of the series, so they they fault uh Sylvester McCoy for it. I liked his playing uh chess four moves ahead of everybody kind of thing. Like he'd come in, he'd bumble around. People would think he's a doofus. And then you'd realize that he's been setting up a plan where they trap themselves by the end of the episode, the entire time.
0: Well, and as far as doctors go before the new series started, he's, he's my second favorite doctor. Tom Baker is, and will be number one, but Sylvester McCoy, I I absolutely love his characterization of the doctor. And he he's kind of considered the uh, the funny doctor. He comes from that, that background. And he also in real life is very much just a, a, just a fantastic guy. And you guys may remember him from um, The Hobbit, I believe it was. He played uh, uh, Rag, what's his name? Radigan. Oh, Radagast. Radagast, thank you. Yeah, he was Radagast in those movies.
1: I'm also or. looking at his history of acting. In 2007, he was in King Lear and he played the fool in King Lear opposite Ian McKellen.
0: Yeah, he's he's a very well-respected actor and I just he just comes off as this very likable and you want to watch what he does. Then like Josh said he's always kind of one one or two or three steps ahead of everybody else. He's kind of like the the Trouton but to an nth degree and Ace who was his primary companion uh is one of the more beloved Companions of the series, and who I, I mentioned earlier before the show, it has the distinction of being the only person ever to defeat a Dalek with a baseball bat. Um, and uh, but
2: he did it, it like this. He did it like that.
0: She did it. But Whatever. unfortunately, like like they were, you guys Another were
2: saying, BC boys' reference. You didn't think you were going to get Josh.
0: <laughs> the the series was getting to a point where they were no longer putting money into it, and the quality just continued to dip and the very last episode of the series before it ended and the, the movie happened in 96 is it kind of leaves with a question mark at the end. No pun intended as far as what happens. Cause Ace and the doctor kind of wander off talking about things. And that's the end of the series. Sorry, done for, the, for, and the episode is kind of battlefield or it's kind of question marky anyway. Uh, but I, I love him unabashedly love Sylvester McCoy.
1: Pat, what did you think?
2: Uh, this was one of them that I skipped, actually. Um, because last night I was running out of time, and I just had to skip the seventh and the eighth Doctor, and I moved on to the new. All right. So I don't have an opinion, sorry.
0: Where is, oh, oh, I was going to say, in terms of the episode, if you guys, well, if some of you missed it, the Daleks, unfortunately, suffer from the uh, the budgetary constraints. <laughs> And uh, when you don't want to have a Dalek that has somebody inside riding on a tricycle uh, going on cobblestone streets, because you'll see the entire thing sh- shimmy back and forth as they're rolling. <laughs> um, but it did introduce the the, the heavy Dalek, which is a, a one that's got a giant cannon mounted on it instead of the typical Dalek. Um, it's, it's a very well-written episode, but because of the budgetary stuff, it comes off. Uh, kind of poor in that quality. So, oh. anyway.
1: Well, the heavy... Do- oh, Actually, no, I thought this was... This is just a guy who's built a heavy Dalek, what he thinks it should look like. This is not what it actually looked like. I'm looking at an actual picture of the heavy Dalek and that kind of looks like... It, you know what... It lo- it's it's the um, thing from Labyrinth. Remember the guy who had the big cannon and was walking around on the little dog thing?
3: Oh, yeah. That's what it looks like. Huh. So are we ready to talk about the TV movie and Paul McGann oh.
0: special weapon Dalek? Sorry. Anyway. Yes.
3: All right.
1: Paul McGann. Wait, where, where my notes go? Okay. They're there. Paul McGann, 1996 TV movie. And a 2013 in a mini episode, Uh companion is Grace Holloway. Um, an American-made TV movie meant to jumpstart a new era of Doctor Who in the '90s, and some consider this to be the template that would lay out what the 2005 reboot of the show would become. Uh, primary, uh, primary villains. Well, oh, uh, no, primary no, villains
0: completely right. separate topic.
1: Sorry about that. <laughs> primary villains
3: are coming soon.
0: All right. So, so Paul, the primary villain in the movie, though, is the Master.
3: Yeah, the Master. You've got this shot in Toronto. They want to bring back doctor who they want to pitch it to American audiences. They film it in Canada and opinions on this are wildly divided all over the place.
1: Where do you stand on this, Josh?
3: I think Paul McGann is an incredible doctor in a movie that was hamstrung by some
0: real stupidity. Yeah. There's a lot of problems with this movie. Um, First of all, the fact that, that Sylvester McCoy lands on Earth in his very, very Victorian-esque uh, TARDIS console room that's just overly elaborate because they were throwing so much money at this movie and walks out into the middle of a gang fight and gets shot and then takes, gets taken to the hospital where he's treated by Grace Holloway and regenerates into Paul McGann in the morgue.
3: Yeah, she um, kills so him, him on continuity. the operating table because she doesn't realize he's got two hearts in her defense yeah yeah but like he's dashing he's charming he's everything i want the doctor to be and then the second half of the movie is all about how he's half human and i tune out
1: see i just think that's too much for a character like the doctor that's supposed to be this intergalactic living forever type thing i think just to toss were they Did they toss a the humanity in there just for the sake of it? or
3: Basically, that was the big revelation. You've got Eric Roberts as the master. And that's how you know a project is not going to be good when <laughs> Eric Roberts has second billing. <laughs> By the way, he's standing there and he's got the uh, Asian gang member who was involved in the gang fight that shot the seventh doctor. And there's this big revelation. Oh, the TARDIS works because you need a human retinal signature because the doctor's half human.
0: And I was just like, okay.
3: Midichlorians. Yeah.
0: It was, yeah. yeah
3: it, it's a midichlorians moment. Exactly.
0: Yeah. They have some serious, serious continuity things that, that I mean, the, the series is, it, the movie is considered canon, although for a long time before the series, I mean, even after the series rebooted, there were some question marks as to if it would still be, even though Sylvester McCoy does regenerate into Paul McGann, there was some questions as to whether it was still considered that, and there's also some uh, question as to whether Chang Lee, who was the, the, uh, the gang member, whether he's to be considered a companion, because he does travel with the doctor briefly. Mm-hmm. Uh, but the other thing that people really fight about with this is when Paul McGann French kisses Grace Holloway and they introduce the romantic angle, which up to that point had never really been touched on.
3: Well, and the fact that that's one of the first things he does, I actually think cements his character. It's Like we got two hours to build this guy as this is what sort of doctor he is. And he is going to be the romantic swashbuckling doctor. And I think they they nailed it. They didn't have much time to uh, tell you who he was going to be. And even though I don't like the movie, I like him so much that I think it's a crime that he only got to play the doctor here. And then in night of the doctor.
0: Well, and that's the other thing is, is, for me, as a, as, a, as a long-running fan of it, when I, when I knew that there, it was going to be coming, I was really excited. My, and I was in, we were at college at that point, and so my mom taped it for me on VHS, and I got a copy from her on VHS, which I still own. Um, but when I watched it, I was so excited that, you know, here's Sylvester McCoy, here's this movie, here's this character that I love. And I was just like, wow, this is not very good. When he hopped on the motorcycle, I was like, oh, man, really? What is happening? But luckily... For McGann, he's got enough of a fan base, kind of based on the things Josh mentioned, that he went on to have a pretty large career in terms of comics, books, and the big Finnish audio dramas, where he went on to have a long run in that character, which Moffat took him when they did the 50th anniversary Day of the Doctor, um, you know, giant episode that they did a mini episode right before that, where he regenerates into um, the war doctor. And they use a very old footage of John Hurt briefly after he regenerates to show that he was that character. And then he aged from young John Hurt into the character in 50th. So they tie it all together. It's only like a seven minute thing. You can find it on YouTube, but Hmm.
3: yeah, I watched it for the second time again last night, just just to fuse glue, the two halves of these shows together for my mind.
0: And you get to see where he goes from the, the swashbuckling debonair, you know, kissy kissy doctor into this hardened kind of, I, I have to make a decision. Am I going to stand idly by or am I going to join the war against the Daleks? And he's like, fuck it. Here we go. <laughs> and he drinks the, the elixir and regenerates and he's ready to kick ass.
3: All right. So we want to talk about classic villains uh, before we go on to our thumbs up and thumbs down. Yeah,
1: let, I mean, well, we've got, let's, let's run through these. The Master, uh, Roger Delgado was one that I had seen. I have uh, the Peter Pratt one, and the Jeffrey Beavers, I have not
0: They They just played the, uh, in between the regenerations, when he's he's like burned to a crisp, like uh, crispy critter looking guy. Those, they yeah, it's they like played a the lich. Ah. Uh, he, they oh. just played the uh, the heavy makeup versions of him.
1: Okay. Um, the villain, I think, concept wise, I think is a great Great villain. I think the the Roger Degado's the ones that we were watching from the very beginning uh episodes. They needed better writers to make him more clever.
3: Yes, absolutely. He's supposed to be your Victor Von Doom to the Doctor's Reed Richards. Mm-hmm. And
2: Here's my bomb on a string, right.
3: <laughs> And you've got this idea that because of his evil plans, he's been burning through his regenerations, and he just gets more and more desperate as the character goes on.
2: Fear, fear my middle management man, I have under my mind control.
3: <laughs> fear my carnies. Yeah, <laughs> look, well, shrunk
1: the goober or geech—that's his name. That was the
0: Anthony <laughs> Anthony Ainley. Really, kind of takes the character in, in a, a more sinister kind of. Good counterpoint to the doctor, but again, his his plans are kind of half cocked and ill conceived. Uh And then you get Eric Roberts, which <laughs> they they do the whole Jason takes Manhattan concept of this snake like thing that goes from body to body, and it just gets kind of lame. But
3: and the next show will delve deep into like John Sim,
0: mm-hmm. and Michelle Gomez's Missy. Like, yeah.
1: The one shot for Derek Jacoby, too. Yeah, yeah.
0: Well, he did have he did play it for an entire episode. Yeah. Uh, notes to all of us.
1: Uh, Daleks as the enemy, and Davros. I'm gonna go. I'm gonna toss Davros in with the Daleks. Sure,
3: they're linked.
1: Yeah, I I like the Daleks as in specific episodes. I I'm more sold on the Daleks now than I am from then. I think just because the what they can do with them with the way they've written them out a little bit more you find out more about them but i dig them i think they're they're in my top 3 favorite favorites of uh of the of um may probably number 2
3: yeah i mean they are your uh xenophobic absolutely they just want to destroy all life that isn't them unstoppable killing machines that are really just these tiny little blo- blobby guys inside this crazy battle armor mm-hmm. which
0: Terry Nation wrote them based on, kind of the 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 Third Reich that was kind of the template for them. Kind of this, you know, they want again, like you said, they want to kind of eradicate anyone that isn't themselves, which is not unlike the Cybermen. And then you've got Davros who takes these creatures that have mutated and puts them in these tanks so that they have a, a way to carry out their goals. And then they end up, time and time again, seem to turn on Davros. but yet he still remains in power somehow, but he's not really the head of the Daleks necessarily, but he is their, their creator, so to speak. And in Genesis, the Genesis of the Daleks, if you ever want to see a Tom Baker, great episode, there's a lot of that, that they play off each other, which you see again, when Capaldi meets Davros in a series nine, I had to think about which series it was. Uh,
3: before we talk about the Ice Warriors, I want to jump forward to the Cybermen since Joel mentioned them already. I almost think they're less xenophobic and they're more the Borg. Like, no, they want to assimilate everything. So, I, like, once I got into who the Cybermen were, I was like, holy crap, Star Trek ripped off the Cybermen.
0: But the yeah, goal is very think, similar.
3: Think,
1: well, even though they had the accordions,
2: they, um, we will make you polka.
1: I still think the Cybermen are probably my favorite favorite villains in this in this series in the in the classics just because they are that you know they granted they don't move slow but there's a lot of them and they don't stop at all they just keep coming and that's i think is pretty terrifying for the for this time of having a a villain that you seemingly cannot destroy especially especially with the changing you know well now they do it well now they do it with the um you fire on them once they pull that full Borg thing, change their programming to defend themselves against whatever it is you just shot them at. So,
0: well, and that's the thing. There's there's very much an echo of of almost a zombie type mentality where you know if if you're not one of them, once they get a hold of you, you're gonna be. And so there's no even if you're dead, they're gonna use your spare parts to create more. And so it's this it's this unstoppable army that if if there wasn't somebody there to to get in their way, like the doctor, they would take over pretty easily. So Joel, tell us about the ice warriors. Cause
3: I actually don't really know much
0: about them. Uh, what's interesting is they originally, the characters have a lot of, uh, it wasn't as well thought out as it is now. Um, because now they've kind of written more into what they are, but they're kind of like, uh, the Daleks and the fact that there's a creature inside of this, the suit of armor so to speak um and they're from the year 3000 um they trying to think of the best way to kind of describe them uh they're they're well obviously by their name they're a warrior race uh they're kind of like reptiles i guess inside of their inside of the 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 suit um
1: this is this is the Ice Warriors that are in the one from the now that took place on the submarine, right?
0: Yeah. Then then they also came back in a Capaldi episode here in series ten. Um but they're they're probably like as far as the classic series, they're probably like the third or so next to maybe the Santarans, as far as the ones that are used the most common. So if you're not including the Master, um, they seem to come back pretty often as far as a, a villain against the doctor but the reality is is that the doctor respects them and they kind of have a a love hate thing going on because he knows that their goals aren't necessarily to dominate the the planet or to take over they're just trying to exist and um so whatever gets in their way though they kind of will (laughs) get them out of their way so to speak
1: plow through yeah
0: all right, so
3: from them to probably the Zygons, who I, I only know of from Capaldi's run, and mm-hmm. I, I
0: well on the fiftieth uh, anniversary episode.
3: Oh yeah, th- th- they touch on that don't, uh, on them, don't they? Uh,
0: they play a pretty major role in that. I mean, they're um, I wouldn't it, touch a Zygon. <laughs> if you watch the the episodes back here, like well, the terror of the Zygons, where they first appear, they look like they drive a giant pizza ship. Um, all of the controls look like a giant pizza. Mm-hmm. It's, it's very or- and are very organic type um, setup that they have. Everything is all living, but they can assume the form of anything. They're they're like giant mi- mimics. Basically.
3: okay and i had mixed up uh the zygons with the Nestine consciousness uh i forgot the zygons actually yeah they take you over psychically and if uh, they don't like make you out of plastic
0: right but they can become basically anyone at any time
1: yeah they can change theirs and in, in the, especially in the new one there's the whole plot line of the bomb underneath the Tower of London is about to go off and vaporize London, and then uh, the Doctor just flips a switch on a conveniently placed amnesia ray and makes everyone forget if they're actually duplicating a human or actually a human. And And he gives a speech. Yeah.
3: Yeah, I'm sure we'll delve into that uh, next episode, because that's one we focus on. Oh, yeah.
0: right, Definitely. The Zygons are a very beloved villain, and uh, luckily they've become used quite efficiently in the new series. Yes. Uh, I don't even know who the Ronnie are. The (laughs) Ronnie is one person. Uh, The Ronnie is a renegade time lady. She's kind of like the female equivalent of the master before the master became a female. Um, And she wasn't introduced until Colin Baker's era, uh, played by Kate Amara, but she thought when Missy came about that it was actually the Ronnie in disguise, that she had regenerated. Uh, because oh. they're very similar in in what they do, They're she is always out to cause havoc, just like the master. Um, but she's female, and so yeah.
3: Okay, so then we have the uh, Mister Potato Head Angry Santarans.
0: <laughs> which
1: the reason I love the Santarans is because of Drax, but we get into that for the next episode. Yeah.
0: When you watch the original episodes they're they're very there's it's a, the the character design is the same i mean the the actual look of them hasn't changed much, but they're not midgets so much or they're not short they're you know a bit more normal human sized uh but they do look like potatoes and they are a warrior race that their their entire life is to create and create war and and perpetuate it that's all their warrior potatoes yep that's their entire <laughs> life is to Just be at war. That's all they are, like a
3: living Napoleon complex, uh, eventually. And their whole thing is like Klingons are all about honor in Star Trek. These guys are kind of like Klingons, but they almost think that a glorious death in
0: battle is better than victory, pretty much. And uh, back in the day,
2: Lieutenant Dan. (laughs)
0: Yeah. <laughs> back in the day they, before the special effects were there, they're, they're a little funny to watch in terms of that, but the, the basic design and the basic characterizations of them have not changed very much um, throughout the run of the show. They're they're nasty little bastards. And I wish to God, and I loved Class, don't get me wrong, but I wish to God that they would have done a spinoff with Jenny Strax and Madame Bastra. Just saying.
1: Nice. Okay, then the Autons, or nesting consciousness a lot more terrifying once they when they hit the new series but i think this is this is another one of those like borgish type of uh type things you know you don't you, they're nowhere and then suddenly they're everywhere type of thing
0: yeah i know josh has latched onto them a bit oh, just because they're so
3: silly in spearhead from space they're so silly in this original. And to be honest, they're kind of silly in the first episode of the reboot, but they eventually like, I'm impressed with how they go from a ridiculous alien to uh, actually legitimately uh, menacing.
0: Mm -hmm. Yeah. They, they become something entirely different and every episode that they're on they're they're not the same as they were before.
1: All right. Now, the Silurians. Ceruleans.
0: Which if you guys you guys may not know this and, and you'll go, oh, they've they've probably gone through the most transformation. They're in the modern era you would know them as as Madame Vastras race. That's the oh, okay Yeah. Um in the original series, they looked a lot more like um, lizard creatures. They were a lot oh. less like humanoid. Oh. Yeah, they look like merman from He Man. Yes. <laughs> in the original. Oh. Oh a reptile-like race. Uh, they're they're but they're you know they're very humanoid, and they predate man as in terms of the original uh, native Earthlings who went into hibernation at the center of the earth center of the earth, um, and basically have all have made a few appearances. But yeah, they were the original inhabitants of Earth.
1: Oh, oh, <laughs> oh! All right. So then we got. The Great Intelligence, was that, that was the one that was in the, in the, from the now that had made the Living Snowman, right? The Big Snowball?
0: Well, the, yeah, that was a nesting consciousness tag teaming with the Great Intelligence. Yes. Okay. Yeah, that was two villains in one.
1: I do, outside There's of that, two, I do not two. know the Great Intelligence.
0: <laughs> I
3: have no
2: idea what we're talking about. At
1: the,
3: <laughs> the Great Intelligence, like towards the end of Matt Smith's run and into Capaldi's, I think gets a little bit more
0: prominence. Yeah, it's it's basically it's not really got a physical form so much. It's just a, uh, it it's just a great intelligence. <laughs> yeah, it's it's smartness. It's really smartness. <laughs> yeah, but it doesn't have like a body or anything. It just exists. And the in the yeti, the yeti are associated with them, but that was really more like their minions. Kind of like they did with the nesting consciousness. They took something else in physical form to carry out whatever plan they had. But it's, it's disembodied.
3: Cool. Okay, and we need to talk about the Veilyard, vale because I didn't know what the Veilyard vale was until we started prepping for the show. And Joel talks about continuity. Uh, the Veilyard vale is the arch enemy of continuity.
1: <laughs> so he is the Doctor, but not the Doctor, in a time where nobody was kind of watching the Doctor.
2: He Supposedly...
3: Yeah, he's the Doctor from a future incarnation. According to the Master, sometime between his 12th and final incarnation, the Doctor's running out of lives because certain things in the new series haven't happened yet. He believes he is the best incarnation of all of the possible Doctors, and he hatches this plan to go back and betray his previous selves to steal their regenerations.
0: Yes, so he's somewhere between Capaldi and and our new our new doctor not necessarily according to the original series according to the book of the original series
3: the audio says between 12th and final
0: if if you watch the trial of the time lord they also discuss
1: yeah so if you steal the regeneration from someone that was you before it happened does that just like break the chain then
3: that's one of the many problems with the Valeyard, which is why for a long time the BBC said we don't talk about
0: the Valeyard. <laughs> which I, I know that uh, Moffat was a fan, and there was some discussion briefly about maybe that character returning. But if if you get a chance and you're interested enough to watch more of the original series, Michael Jaston's performance of him in the Trial of the Time Lord is just—it's just. It's just Very, very well done. He's he's fun to watch in that character, and they don't tell you right off the bat who he is. That comes along during the course of the story. And when I saw it for the first time about a year and a half ago, I was like, "Wait, what? (laughs) What just happened?" Yeah, because I didn't know much about him either.
3: Thinking too hard about the Valeyard will mess up your brain, especially if you because they've made reference to him twice now in the uh, uh, new Doctor Who.
2: Mm-hmm.
3: And uh, with stuff we're going to talk about next episode with regards to removing the doctor's regeneration limit, you get into all this weird paradox. It's like, well, if the doctor isn't capped at 13 incarnations, why does the veilyard need to go around being a dick? Right? Just don't think about it too hard. Uh, yeah. One of the things about the writing of the veilyard, the writer who created the veilyard was afraid that they were going to use their plans for the character as a pretense to permanently cancel Doctor Who. So, in response, they quit the show and refused to give the BBC uh, permission to use any of their ideas. Because this was before the time where a writer would just have signed away all of the rights to their work. So, it was actually illegal for the BBC to use some of what was written for the plans for the Valeyard, I.e. Terry Nation and the Daleks. Excuse me, (laughs)
1: All right. So on (laughs) the episodes that we watched, what was your favorite? Don't all jump in. Uh, I
3: I, I was thinking about it because I I, I was thinking favorite episode in general from early
0: time. I'm not sure it actually appears on this. How about you just go with your favorite rather than one that we watched? Just because I'm curious. You'd think I'd have that ready because we've known <laughs> I was the one who asked Patrick, the question. Patrick, I'm sure you have something ready.
2: Um
1: I, uh That's all right. Not like we haven't planned this one out for
0: a while.
2: <laughs> no, Not I'm like really, we don't do this. T- every... It's really tough for me to say one of them is my favorite because none of them is my favorite.
0: Well, well that's is, an there, answer. is there one that had certain aspects to it that you appreciated enough to say that was that was interesting. I like that, or that was better than or I thought.
2: If we were
1: hanging out and Joel put on an episode of Doctor Who, which episode of classic Doctor Who would he not smack him for putting on?
2: <laughs> I, I don't know, maybe um uh, maybe Vengeance on Veros just so I could watch that little green guy again
0: <laughs> to watch Sill.
2: Yeah, Sill. Cuz that was a creepy little dude. And you know how much I like <laughs> Things that
1: creepy dis- green dudes,
2: yes, things that disturb me. I'm gonna uh, go with Terror it? of the
1: Autons just because it made me laugh a lot.
2: Yeah, those big old heads. I mean, that I mean, there were the master is so ridiculous in this episode. Like, I'm, I'm, I'm like, how is this guy a threat at all? I might actually have to pick that one.
1: You, you, espe- okay, you know, what I come if it to- wasn't
2: the- for still, I would definitely go with Terror of the Autons,
1: okay. What I completely forgot about this may draw you back. Remember his gigant, his great plan to sneak in dressed as a telephone repairman. Oh yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, just I mean,
2: I'm I'm not yeah, a big there was so, fan of there bad. Was writing. So much ridiculousness in that episode. Ugh.
1: Yeah, but when the bad writing is particularly awesomely bad, I think I enjoy that. I mean, I'm going to come to this planet. I'm going to get some carnies. And then take over a plastics manufacturing plant, dress up as a fo- telephone repairman after they make me a telephone cord, and try and strangle the doctor with it. In the meantime, I'm going to attack your friends with a long What
2: are you runner. doing here? I am a phone man replacing yeah. cord. They wanted a long, long cord. Well, that <laughs> sounds like him. Everything checks out. <laughs>
3: Okay, I think I've got mine because it was one that I was trying to think of when we were talking about Tom Baker as one that Patrick should probably watch to get some of the charm of the Baker era. I'm going to go with uh, Robots of Death. Basically, you've got this sand miner big vessel that is churning through the desert, uh, mining stuff. And you kind of got a bit of that uh, snow piercer, I think it's called, where you've got classes on a vehicle that's moving through. And the higher your class is, the better. Yet you kind of got that thing going on. And uh, various people in this class conflict on this giant uh, vehicle are getting strangled to death and there's this whole paranoia about uh like robophobia like the robots are here to strangle us all and wow. uh it, it's an awesome leela episode uh, incredibly charming stuff uh from tom baker and it's not as goofy and silly as a lot of the other tom baker episodes hmm. it, yeah it's kind of like snowpiercer meets uh,
0: uh shit uh
3: murder on the orient express with uh, psycho killer
0: robots. Guess <laughs> say? Um, nice. <laughs> so I mean as far as like in general um for me the my favorite episode is the robots of death which we didn't watch but uh it's particularly because Matt Brown and I What the we one were... I just talked about? <laughs> yeah. Oh, yeah, I'm sorry. I, thought yeah, you were talking I, about I, I don't
2: sorry. even think he realizes that you were just talking. That
0: was Robots of Death. Sorry, I... I <laughs> that was Robots of Death. I was... I was
1: I'm changing uh, my I'm going with Robots of Death.
0: I tuned <laughs> out for a second and I missed the name of it. I was just listening to what you were saying. Um, I too I will
2: agree. be Robots of Death.
0: I agree with Josh, but primarily for a different reason, because uh, when Matt and I were in high school and we would watch Doctor Who together on a regular basis, um, that was our our, our pinnacle episode because uh, mainly because of the scene where the doctor is, is um, being interrogated by the, the bad guy. And he's like, would you like a jelly baby? And the, the bad guy says, shut up. And he knocks it out of his hands. And <laughs> <laughs> J- J- Matt and I would reenact that quite often. So if you ever want to, if you ever hear Matt and I do that bit, now you know why. But um, then it's just, it's a, it's a great episode. And, and Tom Baker is at, at the peak of his form um And it, it I don't know. But I mean, if you're looking at the ones we had here, I probably would have gone with Pyramids of Mars anyway because Tom Baker, and again, that's a Matt Brown and Joel favorite to watch because of the, the breast-killing robots.
3: I do think it's kind of awesome, even though Joel wasn't paying attention, that out of all of the possible episodes of Doctor Who, we both picked the same one, and it wasn't one we watched.
0: I'm, just gonna... <laughs> I'm glad I wasn't paying attention, I guess. All right. So... Companion,
3: companion, favorite companion, least favorite companion. This is probably going to be a bigger deal for me and Joel since we watched a bunch, but oh, uh, 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 no. <laughs> well,
2: will not be Susan. I'll tell you that she was annoying. Oh, we're going to get oh. to that
1: <laughs> for the for the classic. Yeah. Uh, Again, I'm just going with what we watched because sure, not Jamie.
0: Well, if you guys need time to think, I don't uh, know.
1: Perry, Perry was kind of was kind of cool.
0: I think I
3: might I,
1: have to go with Perry.
3: Yeah, that's I mean, a she was three for Perry his favorite companion. <laughs> yeah.
1: Boobs? Oh, no, uh, not, I mean, she was boobs, but she was also. she didn't vocal. even show
2: boobs in the in the, the, the caves of androgyny. Well,
3: yeah, I already did that one. You got to come. With I know,
2: boobs. but I mean, I
3: should have gone with Andre Agassi. That's that's my favorite. Yeah,
2: now we're trying to do a new one. <laughs> I forgot that Mike had already used that one. That was well, mine originally, though. Well, All yours. I give you credit.
0: That, that's easy for me. I mean, Sarah Jane Smith is and always will be my, my favorite companion. I unabashedly love... Uh, she just was... Elizabeth Slayton was just uh, so much fun to watch and charismatic and sweet and charming. And I just... I love her. I do. Aw.
1: All right favorite doctor
3: oh wait uh, least favorite companion
1: oh least favorite companion um <laughs> this susan. easy yeah this i'm going with pat on this one susan gram from grandpa doctor
3: uh for me it's a uh, joe grant i do not like joe grant joe uh grant. Joe, she was she the was, she was the companion i believe from terror of the autons
1: oh yes oh yeah she was pre- oh wait she was pretty annoying I um, I know lots about science.
0: Now i will go get your tea. Um, uh, well, it, it, you guys didn't get a chance to witness the, the 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 horror that was Chameleon, but um, Chameleon was probably the 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 worst. At the they they basically was a robot that could change into anything or anybody. Not anything. He wasn't a transformer. <clears throat> he would just oh, turn. <clears throat> That was terrible. He would, he could change himself into any, anybody he could transform into a person basically. But the robot that they designed was so difficult to manage and so cost prohibitive that they, uh, it's, it's, it's cringy to watch because it's so bad and he's just not a very good companion anyway. Cause he just kind of sits there. But I mean, as much as people hate Adric, um, yeah, chameleon's awful.
3: So basically, what you're saying is, if you want a robotic companion for Doctor Who, it has to be smaller than a garbage can. Which
0: canine even was problematic, but at least he was lovable.
3: Well, you got canine and you got handles, which we'll talk about next. next
0: <laughs> <week>. <laughs> there is handles, yes, but
3: why
2: Canine why? was an official companion.
3: Oh yeah, he was around the for a little many. robot thing. Why is he
2: playing a lute?
3: He was Dude, there for years. If you think canine is dumb.
0: Wait till we tell you about Handles. I love Handles, but he's kind of dumb. Well, (laughs) K-9 went on to... Not only was on Doctor Who for many seasons, he was also in Sarah Jane's Adventures, and he had his own show called K-9.
3: Oh, God. (laughs) Yeah. So... All right. So, favorite Doctor? Mm, Out of the classics?
2: Hmm. I have to go with
3: Tom Baker. Seems obvious, but I, I could see you coming coming to that conclusion. I'm going with John Pertwee.
0: Interesting. The
3: dark horse. I am all about Sylvester McCoy. But he killed the show. Well, I no. And the problem is he was one, like I love his conception of the doctor. It's a shame he didn't get the budget or the
0: scripts. He didn't kill the show. The BBC did slowly by suffocation in a big plastic chair. <laughs> <laughs> uh, well, I've mentioned it several times, and uh, Tom Baker is, is by far my favorite with Sylvester McCoy d- right behind him uh, as being the top of my my list as well. All right.
3: All
1: right. So next week, Doctor Who, the new Doctor, new Who.
3: Yeah, continuing. We've done then. We are going to do now with the 9th uh, through 13th Doctor's. Plus yeah. the War Doctor. So, uh,
1: I'm closing. iTunes, Blueberry, Stitcher, TalkShoe, Podverse FM, Noon FM, if you're looking for our older stuff.
3: Yeah, right. and if you want to tell us about how we're absolutely wrong with our picks for most and least favorite doctors and companions, you can always give us a call at 708-NOW-RAP. That's 708-669-9727. All right. Pat, you got one more. Caves of?
2: Oh, crap. Caves of... Um... <laughs> Andy's mints. I don't know. <laughs> <What>?
0: <laughs> Holy crap. And Patrick as the Valeyard.
2: <laughs> All right. We will. Gary uh, be- as the Beaver.
1: <laughs> we'll be back with more who next week.
0: Tune in. <laughs>
3: Stop that. Phasing out of existence.
2: Oh. <laughs> Absorbed.
0: <laughs> I didn't die. With lucky landslots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to. Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry,
1: sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. <gasps>